World's Finest Podcast, Episode 75. As always, I'm Michael Sims, and with me is James Doe. Sir, how are you? Doing great, sir. How are you? I'm doing better. Of course, there was a big delay between episodes 73 and 74, and I do apologize to all our listeners for that. Uh, Basically, what happened was I fell into a funk, and I didn't want to do anything that pertained to podcasting. Prepping, recording, editing, nothing. So I took about 10 days off, and uh, I feel refreshed. I think this past Saturday proved that I was ready to get back into podcasting (laughs) mode. Um, For a lot of our listeners are probably scratching their heads right now going, what's Mike talking about? Well, what Mike is talking about is that James, Ian, and myself sat down to discuss Batman Begins. That will end up being episode 400 of Earth2.net, the show, which will air late April but probably early to mid-May. Yeah, the reason that proves I was ready to get back on the podcasting horse? Raw recording, unedited, 5 hours and 51 minutes in one flippin' sitting. (laughs) That was my very first podcast back after taking about 10 days off. (laughs) (laughs) You were just catching up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, now granted... You know, you or I weren't talking for that full near on six hours. God, Ian, synopsizing for almost that whole time. <laughs> yeah, I think I might have to do the synopsis for The Dark Knight. Yeah, just, just to make it up to the guy. You know, I would do it. But my synopsis would be Joker shows up, Batman hits the Joker, Two-Face, Rachel, it's over. You know what I mean? <laughs> like 20 minutes. I mean, I've seen The Dark Knight like 35 times, oh. so I could probably do the synopsis by heart. <laughs> All that said, I think James and I should just jump right into the emails, because of course we didn't read any in episode 74, and that means we have a lot to go through tonight. So let's just get started, sir. The first of many, many, many emails today is from Aaron, who writes, Hey, Mike, you were right in the last episode when you said that Hal had white hair on his temples before he came parallax. When I wrote that email a couple weeks ago, I was already mentally inserting the retcon fact that Hal was actually younger than he looked, and his hair was turning white because he was being infected by Parallax Entity before actually becoming Parallax himself. No worries. All right. Uh, next one's from Dylan, who writes, I remember you saying you were not or you were going to tune into the Justice Society of America episode of Smallville, Absolute Justice, and I wanted to know if you did and if you liked it or not. I personally loved it and immediately bought it on iTunes. I also wanted to tell you, in case you didn't already know, that I know the Lizard will be in the next Spider-Man movie. I would also like to know why you don't like Venom. I know that Venom sucked in Spider-Man 3, but the Venom in the cartoons and the comics are awesome. I loved watching the fights between Spider-Man and Venom, and it is awesome. I also would like to know what you thought of the Flash TV show with John Wesley Shipp and what you think of them making a Flash movie. Okay, we'll hit these uh, in order here. Uh, Absolute Justice. No, I didn't watch it. I heard too many mixed reviews about it, 
and most of them sided on the negative. So I was sort of like, yeah, I'm not going to waste my time getting my hands on it and watching it. It might turn out to be really good. Who knows? I, I might love it. But right now, I just don't have the interest to, to see it. James, I'm not even going to ask you because I know when it comes to Smallville, you're like, no. <laughs> I have never, never watched an episode of Smallville, and that's right. not going to change anytime soon. <laughs> exactly. As for the lizard being in the next Spider-Man film, I think... Saying you know he's going to be in that is a little off, because at this point we don't know anything about that film except it's a reboot and we're getting a younger Peter Parker. At this point, they don't even have a script, so we don't know what villains are going to be in there. I think the Lizard would be a good choice to throw in there so we could get away from the goblins. I you know, I think I've said this before about Doc Ock. They've had their say. It was a great Doc Ock. They're never going to top that on film. So, yeah, you know, let, let us see the lizard. As for Venom, why I don't like him, I just think he's kind of ridiculous, I guess is the word I'm, I'm looking for. I mean, I can certainly see the appeal of the character, him being the darker side of Spider-Man. But when I started reading the comics... With, with Venom in them, because I wasn't a big Spider-Man reader in my, uh, I guess when he would have appeared would have been before I was a teenager. So I wasn't reading Spider-Man back then. But when I read him, he just, I don't know, he just, he just never really appealed to me. He just seemed a little too over the top, like they were trying to create a Joker for Spider-Man. And they already had that with any of the various goblins. He's he's also overused. I mean, he ends up in everything. Maybe that's part of it that gets on my nerves. Oh, all that said, I think I did like what Bendis was doing with Venom in Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, and then the last part was about the Flash TV show and the eventual movie. I never watched the TV show. Me neither. I, yeah, I'm 99% sure I've seen portions of that first episode when it first aired, but I didn't watch the whole thing. As for a Flash movie, hell yeah. The problem is, is I would have cast Ryan Reynolds <laughs> as the Flash, and he's already <laughs> Deadpool and Green Lantern, so um, I don't know who else could be that character. So, you know, uh, once the movie actually gets cast and we find out who the Flash is, then right back in and ask my opinion of what I think uh, they're going to do with it and if I'm going to... You know, if I'm, if I think I'm going to potentially, if I think I'm going to potentially, yeah, okay, that makes a whole hell of a lot of sense. Enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I, I love the Flash in the Justice League. I absolutely adore him. He's probably my favorite character in the Justice League. And if they can just capture a fraction of the fun that that character has on screen, I think the movie will do well. But they have to find a way to make the speed effect, the running effect, look good. Because like I've said about the Green Lantern movie, if they can't make the constructs look good, it's going to fall on its face. But the Flash, if they can't make the running effects look good, it's going to just be bad. All right, next one's from Reese, who writes, Hey, Mike and James, in response to what another listener emailed you about Superman knowing Dragon Mongol in uh, War World, I decided to torture myself and watch it again. Superman only knows Draga because an alien prisoner said, Why didn't you do that when Draga was here, after Draga spits in Superman's face? Okay. I can't say... I can't say anything for Mongol, but he might have heard his name from the chanting crowd. You could call this a plot hole, but if you marked it down anymore, it'd be at a solid zero. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. 
in regards to my last email, sorry for that screw up. When I said when I said generic, I meant villains that you'd expect to see the league fight constantly, like Luthor or the Joker. Mm. I thought they did establish characters that no one really knew that well, nicely, especially Grundy, who does appear several times in Justice League. Although I hate the Grundy in JLU because he's not the Grundy we all know and love at this point, I can't believe you didn't comment on his line in Only a Dream when Copperhead was all like, Are you crazy? And Grundy just said, Not crazy. Mad. <laughs> Actually, I think he just says, No. Mad. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, that that is a funny line, though, yeah. Looking forward to your reviews of Made of Honor, Hearts and Minds, and A Better World. Well, at this point, you've already heard them, so right yeah, back in and let us go. know what you thought. <laughs> Next one's from Tim, who writes, Hey, Mike and James, as more rumors come out about the next Batman film, uh, film, I begin to feel apprehensive. Look at all the great superhero franchises that had even better sequels but faltered with the third one. Arguably the original Batman franchise, Blade, Superman, Spider-Man, X-Men, etc. Here is what I would like to see in the next film. The villains would be Black Mask and the Riddler. We know Batman is wanted after the events of Dark Knight, but that hasn't stopped his war on crime. Early on in the film, he busts, some, uh, busts up some thugs working for crime boss Roman Sionis, and Sionis is caught in an explosion. Of course, we can't have the burnt face black mask, but he could wear a mask to hide his scars. Meanwhile, two new police detectives are transferred in to the GCPD to replace the cops that Joker and Two-Face killed, Harvey Bullock and Edward Nashton. They both distrust uh, the Batman, but Nashton realizes that he will have to work outside of the law to take down Batman. While on his crusade, he uses his intellect to create jigsaw-like traps trying to take down Black Mask while Batman saves his life from Sionis' hitmen. It turns out he messed up a sting set up by the GCPD, and Black Mask gets away. For mood lighting as a vigilante, Nashton is fired from the police department. He can't believe he was actually wrong, and Batman one-upped him. This drives Nashton a little nuts, since Batman himself is a vigilante, and the city used to worship him. As the film progresses, Nashton, having changed his uh, surname to uh, Enigma and becoming a vigilante, the Riddler tries to take down the mob and Batman in one shot. He discovers Batman as Bruce Wayne and allies himself as a mole in Sionis' operation under the pretense of delivering Batman to him. He manipulates a mob war, and during the final fight, Batman reveals Enigma's treachery to Black Mask, and it ends up being a three-way fight. Riddler murders Black Mask, but Batman takes down Riddler. Gordon and Bullock arrive with the SWAT team to show up, and it ends up it was all... A final trap, Riddler has rigged an explosion to take down all those whom he blames for ruining his life. Of course, Batman saves the day and all charges against him are cleared. Riddler has no idea how he's defeated and goes catatonic as admitted to Arkham Asylum. Now, think the cover of Gotham Central. The bat signal is repaired and Gordon stands atop the GCPD with Bullock and Enigma's replacement, Renee Montoya. Bullock wonders about whether the public will accept Batman's return. The bat signal lights up the sky and in a moment... From one year later, a ruckus erupts about uh, in the streets are filled with yelling. They're rioting, Bullock smirks. Montoya looks down and smiles. No, they're cheering. Batman looks at the signal from a rooftop and uses a new grapple gun to swing towards the beacon. Cut to Arkham. Nigma's being treated by doctors and rambling about how inferior Batman is and how he knows his identity. The doctor sentences him to solitary. The Riddler calms down and a man enters the padded room and states, I'm Dr. Hugo Strange, your psychologist. I will help you solve your problems. I need to know who caused you this trauma. Tell me, who is Batman? Strange releases Nigma from a straitjacket, and Nigma starts laughing, and the cell door closes. Batman arrives to meet Gordon and the other two cops. He's told a new crime boss is taking over Sionis' empire and running a mafia, a man named Oswald Cobblepot. Batman says he will take him down before he causes any harm. Montoya says it's too late. One of his hitmen, Tony Zuko, murdered two acrobats at Haley Circus. The 13-year-old Dick Grayson emerges from behind her. Batman looks at the at the young kid, and Grayson uh, says, 
He will find the man who killed his parents. Grayson is in awe of him. Grayson just arrived in Gotham with a traveling circus and has never heard of the Cape Crusader before. Uh, leaves and asks, who are you? Batman turns around and states the famous line, I'm Batman. Just as they extend to pay homage to the classic handshake, we cut to the credits. And that's how we end this trilogy. What do you guys think of the idea? I, th- I think there's some good things in there, but I think that introduces way too many new characters. Black yeah. Mask, the Riddler, the uh, you know Dick Grayson, Montoya, Bullock, Penguin. Oswald Cobblepot, Hugo Strange. What'd you say, James? Yeah, Penguin. Yeah, I mean, there's. I mean, that almost seems like it. It should be stretched out into a couple of movies, like a second trilogy. Uh, like I said, definitely good stuff in there. Just got to streamline some of that for that for that to work. I mean, that'd be like a four-hour movie. <laughs> yeah. And Nolan has already come out and said that this is going to be his last Batman movie, the, the third one. Right, and he's also said that the villain in the third one is going to be a lesser-known Batman villain. So the Penguin's already been on screen, both in the TV show, you know, the 60s TV show, that is, and uh, Batman Returns. The Riddler was in that old TV show, and of course he was in, what was it, Batman Forever. So I just don't see them being used in the movie. Based on that cryptic statement, I'd go with something like, I don't know if it could be pulled off, but like the Ventriloquist, uh, the Mad Hatter. Black Mask is, you know, not really all that well known to the general He was the next name that was going to come out of my lips was like the Black Mask, which of course he stated there could be used definitely because... You know, he, he fits with with the whole mob stuff that's going on in Gotham in Batman's early days. The only thing I worry about is if they burn his face, well, then we got Two-Face all over again. And if he just puts on a mask, even if his face is burned, it still borders a little too much on Two-Face. I think I'd love to see the Black Mask on screen. I love that character, um, especially the way Judd Winnick was writing him. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, like if they tried to bring in the Mad Hatter, he's got that whole mind control thing going on that might be a little too close to what they were doing with the fear toxin, with the scarecrow. So I, I really don't know who they're going to bring in, who this so-called lesser known uh, villain or villains could be. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll and, see. And the, and the thing is, I don't know, with the Mad Hatter, some people have thrown in the idea, well, maybe you could play up the pedophilia angle, but that might be a little too much because they want you know, 10 to 12 year olds to be able to watch these movies too. And that right. might be a little too much. Now, as it pertains to Dick Grayson, of course, we all know that I'm a mark for Dick Grayson, for Nightwing, for the Robin character. But really, Nolan has said that as long as he's directing the Batman films, Robin will not be in them. Yeah, Sam Raimi said the same thing about Venom, but the difference is, is that Sony stepped in and basically took control of Spider-Man 3. And that's why it was such a clusterfuck. DC, Warner Brothers, I think they saw the mistakes that Sony made with Spider-Man 3 and Raimi. And they're going to stay as hands-off as possible with the third Batman film. So I don't think they're going to force him to put Robin in there. Now, that said, when I say Robin, I, I just mean Dick Grayson in general. That said, of course I'd love to see Robin in the movie. And I think they could do a really cool callback to Batman Begins with having Bruce Wayne console the young Dick Grayson much the way the young Jim Gordon consoled the young Bruce Wayne. Ooh, yeah. Think about that. 
Because remember, Gordon walks up to Bruce and he's all like, oh, is that your father's coat? Because he's holding, you know, Thomas Wayne's tuxedo jacket. And mm-hmm. Bruce won't let it go. Do the same thing where Bruce tries to take away whatever Dick is holding. Ooh, ooh. And it's, um, maybe it's his father's cape or a tattered piece of his costume or something. And the boy just recoils. And, but Bruce is showing this softer, compassionate side of himself. And he remembers being in that role. And uh, so, so he knows what to do to try to comfort the boy. I don't yeah. think that'll happen, but that would just be awesome to see that on screen. All right, next one's from Steve. Ritz. Hey, guys, just wondering if you had a chance to see the latest DC animated feature yet. I'm kind of thinking this might actually be considered DCAU canon and should be considered for inclusion for review in WFP. Yes, I know that'll no. throw off your numbering and all, but no. hear this one out. <laughs> Dwayne McDuffie wrote it originally for the old JL, JLU show, and it was basically turned into a Return of the Joker, Mask of the Phantasm sort of event for the movie release rather than slapping lost episodes together. Also, it seems to take place in between Starcrossed and the start of JLU, as there is no Hawkgirl on the jail, and it ends with Batman introducing new members to the team. Third, I know there isn't a Hawkgirl. For, uh, for some reason, GL is Hal Jordan and not John Stewart, and they did a design change for Martian Manhunter, but it did have the same feel as if it was the old jail cartoon. So it seems it would fit into the series quite well. I'm sure it's lined up for Earth2.net the show, but just give it a thought for WFP. Yeah, a lot of people keep, keep getting hung up on that fact that... You know, it was written to be a episode of Justice League or Justice League Unlimited, and then it got tweaked. But, it, you know, so they, they, they want to force it into the DCAU. And who am I to talk? Mr. Teen Titans, that I am. <laughs> and I'm your kind of lieutenant. Of, hey, right. Teen Titans is DCAU canon. Yeah, but no, I mean, it got tweaked way too much. It's it's. I could see why some people would hang their hat on it, but... It's, um, it's just not part of DCAU lore. As you said, Hale's there, not John. Sure, you can make an excuse for that. After Shaira buggered off because she ended up being a traitor, John went into space and, you know, the, 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 the what do you call it, the Guardians had Hale be the protector of Earth. Sure, you could justify that. You know, I can't believe I'm even trying to do this. I can't believe that actually works. Um, you know, but as you said, John's, you know, being John Jones's costume is just way too different. And there's just, there's just other little inconsistencies, such as like, oh, the entire voice cast. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we won't be covering it on World's Finest Podcast, but we will be covering it on Earth Today at the show. I don't know when, because, of course, we're still planning. We're still trying to find some time to do Green Lantern First Flight. Uh, that's going to be delayed even longer. I do apologize for that, but there's things going on in both my life and James's life. Uh, we'll get into them in a, in a later episode, just not right now. That's just going to push that back and make, because our schedules are just going to be so much more hectic <laughs> in, oh, in the yeah. coming weeks and months. So yeah, you will get done. Just please be patient with us. Next one is from Lorenzo who writes in the episode where you reviewed the season one finale of Justice League. Mike said that the only reason Green Lantern was the one carrying the ship back to the Watchtower was so that his ring would run out of charge and he would have to be depowered. While this is entirely true, the only reason the Justice League were able to to stop Savage's plan is because at the time of the quote-unquote change, they were inside John's bubble, so they were not affected. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing about this episode, but basically the Justice League were pretty lucky they were inside Jill's bubble. Otherwise... We would be speaking something other than English right now. <laughs> Keep up the awesome podcast. <laughs> yeah, that is quite true. I mean, yeah, I did have a gripe with that, that it wasn't Superman pushing the ship or whatever. 
you know, but it, so yeah, it did definitely need to be Green Lantern. I don't know how his bubble somehow protected them, but hey, whatever, it works. So I'll just go with the flow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next one's from Doug. Right, same Mike and James. I want to ask you this question about Batman Beyond. After the events in the epilogue, we discovered that Terry's parents have identical psychological profiles to Bruce's parents. Sometime after Terry was eight, they divorced. If Bruce's parents were not shot dead in an alleyway, would they have also gotten divorced? This is something I've pondered for a while and wanted to know your thoughts. I think this is a really great question. What do you think, James? Oh, absolutely. Uh, It it really makes you think, well, I mean... If they were supposed to be completely identical to Terry, uh, Terry's parents, uh, to Bruce's parents, who knows? There could have been a falling out between Martha and uh, Thomas. But then we would have actually had to have gotten, uh, you know, character development for Martha, and you know, <laughs> can't have that. No, we definitely cannot. Listen to episode four hundred, <laughs> where that comes up more than once. I'd like to think that the Waynes would have stayed together. That the divorce happened, even though they were psychologically, like, let's say, identical. Outside factors could have caused that divorce to happen. I mean, it's, you know, what, 70 years or something after Bruce's parents were murdered? Society has changed greatly. Gotham has changed greatly. So who knows what uh, societal effects affected? Yeah, something like that. The McGinnises that wouldn't have touched the Waynes. Also consider they had a second child. Mm-hmm. And that makes them a whole hell of a lot different than the Waynes. So maybe the stress of having two kids caused the divorce. You know, I mean, it's it's a great question. It really gets you thinking. All right, next one's from Christian Hurayate. Hey, guys, just finished the final season of Teen Titans, and good God was that last episode disappointing. <laughs> Otherwise, though, I thought it was a very entertaining show, and its title characters were very well written, especially Beast Boy. I also liked Robin more than I had expected to. He very much channels Batman in the show, except that he's more of a leader and has a sense of humor. I can't wait for you two to review it after Justice League. I know that in your retrospective of the show, you'll go over your favorite villains and whatnot. But as of now, however, who are your favorite Teen Titans villains apart from Slade? Before we get into that, I do want to say I think that last episode of Teen Titans is a really good episode. It's a shit way to end the series, <laughs> but it's a really good episode nonetheless. That's the one where they every single teen hero is battling the brain. No, that's the one where Beast Boy thinks he sees Terra at the high school. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. Yeah, that's the final episode. The the It should have ended on the big super battle. That should have been it. But yeah, there's one more that's all about Beast Boy and him thinking he's found Terra alive and well. He thinks he sees Slate, too, doesn't he? It ends up... Well, do you mind if I spoil it for you? Actually, I'll watch, I have this, this Okay. Series. I just bought it off eBay. Okay. So I'm going to watch it sometime, so okay. yeah, I'd rather you not. Yes. Yeah, there's a Slate appearance in there, but I won't say much more than that. Okay. If I remember correctly, I think Red X... Yeah. I, I think he was pretty cool because... Was he supposed to be a clone of Robin or they something? They never explained it. It's one of the dangling plot threads that they never came back the, to. The MacGuffin villain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because he had the costume that Robin wore for a little while. I think, that, yeah, it was Robin's costume. He was voiced by the same guy, but they never revealed who he was. <laughs> I almost wouldn't even call him a villain. He was just an antagonist. 
Yeah. Like he was there's the whole there's the whole one with the race where they're trying to get the briefcase, like Robin's super secret briefcase. Oh yeah. And oh yeah. He's just in the race to piss off Robin. And that's mm-hmm. it. He's just a foil in that episode. Not necessarily a villain, just a foil. <laughs> Let's see. I like just for his the fact that they don't take him seriously, I like uh I just lost his name. The fat geeky guy with the remote control. Control oh, freak. Uh, control freak, yeah. 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 And you know what? I mean Sure, it, I, you know, I want to say Brain and Mala and all of those, but I'm trying to think of, like, if we can't say Slade, I want to stay away from them, too. You know what I'm saying? Um, ooh, 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 I know. Ooh, again, he's not a villain, though. He's just an antagonist. Shit. Who? Captain Racist Douchebag from Troc. Oh. That guy. But, yeah, that but again, guy, I'm he's sorry, just that an antagonist. Is, uh, I don't know. That guy's such a douchebag, I would... I'd be very tempted to call him a villain. Okay, okay. I, I, I can see it, but again, I I gotta stick with antagonist there. I guess for the three episodes that he's there, Trigon. Oh yeah, Trigon's really cool. Oh, 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 uh the the, the tofu guy. Uh, the tofu to- yeah, there's one where Beast Boy he wants to get a moped and the only way to do it is to get a job and be you know right. he's a I remember vegan. that episode. Right, he's a vegan and he reluctantly takes a job at a burger joint. And it turns out that the burger is made out of new foo, which is actually like some alien tofu creature thing. And he's just hilarious. And his ultimate fate, I won't spoil it for anybody that hasn't seen that episode, but his ultimate fate cracks me up every time. So yeah, I'd throw him in there too. They just had great characters. They were just having fun on that show. I mean, sure, they had serious episodes. Definitely they did. Oh, the... the the British dude, what's his face? Um, Mad Mod. Mad Mod, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Him too. Yeah, I mean, we could just we could just pretty much name all of the villains. We just have to rank them, you know. <laughs> I wasn't a big fan of Mother May I. Oh, which one was Mother May I? The one who tried to get the Titans to completely change their lifestyle, just like being she tried to get them to be really well mannered and shit to the point where she held them prisoner. <laughs> Oh, I, I think that's how it went, if I remember correctly. I just I remember not being a fan of the character. I'm not recalling that one. I think I liked what was her name, Blackfire, Starfire's sister. Yeah, she was cool. Just because she was the complete opposite of Starfire, you know what I mean? In, in every way. Yeah, yeah. That show had some really great villains in it. It really did. I love that program so much. I know a lot of people hate it. DCAU or not, that that whole argument aside, I know a lot of people hate it mostly because of its anime influences they're, they're not used to that or whatever yeah. but if i really hope you guys when we get to teen titans can get past that and sit through the show and watch it because it's just fun so yes much fun. it is it's yeah. awesome but okay what's next uh i look forward to your reviews of made of honor hearts of minds <laughs> in a better world the latter is my favorite episode of the series after Starcrossed, and is so much better than justice league crisis on two earths Speaking of that movie, do you think that, uh, yeah, those are spoilers. I don't think I'll read that. Yeah. Um, knowing what's said in that email, my opinion is yes to one, no to the other. But that's all I'm going to say. So, yeah. (laughs) Now a lot of our (laughs) listeners are going, what the fuck? Well, just trust those people. It's too spoiler heavy. Next one's from Brian writes, on Tabula Rasa, Amazo must not have read Tower of Babel or he would have just scanned Batman first and then used his I'm Batman and thus can do anything power to take out everyone else. <laughs> nice. On Only a Dream, when Copperhead wraps around Hawk Girl for a bit, they look like a medical symbol. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's awesome. I didn't mm-hmm. even think about that. I didn't either, but that's good. Yeah. 
It is. I wonder if they were going for that. They might have been. They're always throwing little gags in there, you know? Mm-hmm. Flash's fear of going too fast and losing contact with everything comes true in a way at the end of JLU with the yeah. Brainy Athor <laughs> fight. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned before that WFP will end on episode 100. Was this planned, or is that just how it worked out? It just kind of worked out that way. I mean, at a certain, like, when, when I was mapping out how many episodes we'd cover per episode of WFP, I started noticing it was going to end around 100. But I think it was going to go, like, 103 or 104, something like that. And then I realized if I tweaked things just a little, we could get it to 100. And I thought that was the perfect place to end it. So, like I said, sort of worked out, sort of tweaked to work out that way. (laughs) Oh, here's a great one. Hi, guys. Love your podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. That That was a text. We don't know who it's from. Thank you for sending that in. Text us back. Let us know your name. Yeah, indeed. Okay, next email is from Patrick, who writes, Dear Mike and James, I liked the last episode of WFP because of Superman being a jerk against Darkseid and Batman getting a better JL episode. In the Amazo episode, when Lex sees Dr. Ivo dead saying that the cigarettes have gotten to him and to himself means that Lex is dying from the kryptonite poisoning from the episode of uh, For uh, Injustice for All. Yes, Luthor is a smoker. The writers and artists in the comics and in the movies had Lex smoke a cigar once in a while. The In the Witchblade JLA crossover comic, Lex is seen smoking a cigar with Witchblade's version of himself. Mm. I think it was great that Bruce Timm based Dr. Destiny on Skeletor from the 80s He-Man cartoon, since Timm did some of the many comics for the toy line. Yeah, he did. Destiny is a merger of Skeletor and Freddy Krueger, and since, uh, since Freddy Krueger can go into your dreams and kill you in your sleep. As for Hot Girl being claustrophobic, many fanboys remember Storm from the X-Men as claustrophobic as well. Here are some questions. When Nolan does the third Batman movie, which villains do you uh, think you want in that film, and who would you cast in the roles? Uh, to me, I I would like to see Dwayne Johnson as Mr. Freeze. Because no. I... <laughs> no, 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 just stop, because we're going to get yeah. the whole Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Freeze bullshit all over again. No, no. I like The Rock. I think he's a pretty damn good actor. He's in Get Smart. I, I love him in that movie. He's great. He was in that Walking Tall remake. Not a great movie, but I thought he did okay in there. You know, but no, no, no. Keep him away from the Batman movies because we're going to, no, we're getting into some bad, bad territory all over again. Well, <laughs> and he's, he's please continue his too. email, though, because he does justify it, I believe. Yeah, he says, I, I would just like to see him be the Tim Deeney version with the tragic past that turns him into a Morlock-type human that can only wear his suit to protect him from the sun. Have Freeze's Sandman slash Clayface-like powers to fight Batman. That wouldn't fit Nolan's versions. Yeah, it wouldn't. And you know what? I'm sorry. The Rock, Dwayne, whatever we're going to call him, he doesn't have the range, the depth, to play a character like Mr. Freeze the way he's supposed to be portrayed. If they were still doing the kind of silly, and by kind of I mean a lot silly, Batman movies, sure. Why not? But in this more serious universe... No, no, they need an actor who has better chops than him. Did you two see the Kevin Conroy episode of Venture Brothers where he voiced a queer version of Superman, Captain Planet, Harvey Birdman, Batman? <laughs> no, I, I gotta look for that. No. <laughs> and I, I love the Venture Brothers, I just don't get to see it hardly ever. Um, he says he's going to send us a soundbite next time he emails us because of an inside joke at the end of the episode. Ooh, I, am, I eagerly look forward to that. Yeah, please do. And we've got a text message here. Uh, that again, there's, oh wait, I'm sorry. Yeah, this one is signed. Yeah, I think Brent okay. or Brent. 
Buck. Buck, that's it. I knew it was a B. Sorry, Buck. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, just started listening, and I really enjoy the show. In the past couple shows, I've heard reference to the new Spider-Man movies and how it would go all the way back to a younger Spider-Man, such as early in high school. My thoughts are, hooray, hopefully they can get someone decent in the suit. But also, could they maybe try to rush another movie for Spider-Man to appear in uh, the Avengers movie? That way you would have a completely new storyline to work him into? See, I'll, I'll tell you why. That, that's a great idea. I would love to see Spider-Man in the Avengers movies, but that'll never happen because Sony owns the rights to do whatever they want with Spider-Man in, in, in films. That's why they're rebooting this, so they could do a whole new film and get a whole new franchise out of it. So Marvel may technically own the character, but they don't have the big screen rights for him, where they have the big screen rights for the characters that are going to be in the Avengers movie, Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Hulk, all those guys. So unless Marvel slash Disney, since they're owned by Disney now, forks over a ton of money, we're talking billions they're not going to get Spider-Man back in time for the Avengers movie, which is really sad, because I would love... I'd just love to see Spidey just swinging around, you know, just in the background, just saying, oh, yeah, it's the same New York, you know. It's just wisecracking with the... Maybe just throw a wisecrack in with the crew. Right. Uh, I mean... The Avengers. Right, just just something. Like, oh, hey, guys! You know, and it just keeps going, you know? <laughs> but, yeah, it can't happen. And the worst part is they can't even sneak in a cameo, because, you know, no other... Marvel hero swings across the city like that. Sure, Daredevil's got his billy club, but there's a big difference between the way he swings and Spider-Man swings, you know? Uh, the reason I mentioned sneaking a cameo in is because if you watch the end of Spider-Man 2, spoiler, where Mary Jane is running away from her wedding, there's a scene where she passes a man in black who very clearly looks at the camera. He looks directly at us, and it looks just like Thomas Jane's The Punisher. And I'm convinced that that was Jane in an uncredited role, just happened to be strolling by Mary Jane as she was leaving her wedding. All of you pop it in and look for that. It's, it's, if you disagree with me, please write in and let me know. But I'm, I, I'm positive 75% of you are going to agree with me. But they can't even do something like that with Spider-Man in the Avengers film. Again, because he's too, you just can't have him swing. People would, Sony would sue. And that does it for emails, but we do have some voicemails, Mike. Yes, we do. Uh, we have three, t uh, just from two people, though. The first two are from Joe. Hey, guys, it's Joe from Connecticut. Uh, I called uh, a couple episodes back was uh, complaining about uh, the ending to Justice League. And I never actually pointed out any of the stuff that I like, um, other than the fact that where you guys episodes are long enough to get me through a good portion of my eight-hour shift on the overnight while working at a hotel, which can be extremely boring. Thank you for that. Um, wanted to say, I think, uh, personally, one of my favorite episodes would be Twilight. And uh, I know you guys just covered that, but uh, for me, I think that's one of their, one of their best ones. Um, Savage Time for me, I think it should have been two episodes. I think the, the three-episode arc for that one, it kind of dragged a little bit. Uh, with GL, it just, they, 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 they didn't have enough to do with him. I, I, lo I love the idea that he didn't have the ring, and he was with Sergeant Rock and all of them. That was really cool. But at the same time, it, it seemed kind of forced to me. It seemed kind of stretched. I don't know. I'm just curious what you think. Uh, keep up the good work, and uh, hopefully I'll talk to you all again soon. Bye. 
Hey guys, Joe from Connecticut again. Um, I know this is more of an Earth 2 uh, question, but I figured I could post it here as well. Um, a, uh, are, are you planning on covering uh, Crisis on Two Earths? Uh, I'll tell you, personally, I thought it was pretty damned good. Uh, I think the, the casting was great, and James Woods was an awesome owl man. But uh, anyway, I'll let you guys let us know what you think. And B, um, are you going to at least watch uh, Batman Under the Red Hood? Uh, that trailer is on the the Crisis for Two Earths. And uh, yeah, just a little bit I've seen. I already don't want to wait for it. So uh, just uh, let me know what you think. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you, Joe. Uh, James, what do you think? Of course, you know, we both gushed over the savage time. But, you know, he kind of has a valid point about some of the things he said about Green Lantern there, about really maybe it was a, a little stretched out. I can see where he's coming from, but I disagree on the grounds that I, I think you had to have GL with uh, Sergeant Rock and his crew and his his unit and... Uh, just because they were trying to get across the point that John is more than just a guy with a ring. Yeah. And I think they did need all the, all of the time that they uh, allotted to that. So, I'm, I, I, again, I understand where he's coming from. I can see where anybody would say, okay, this dragged on way too long, but I respectfully disagree. Okay. And, uh, you know, as it pertains to the second one, of course, as we said, uh, Crisis on Two Earths, it is going to be covered on episode worth tonight at the show. Um, as for Under the Red Hood, I haven't seen the trailer yet. Uh, James, have you watched it on YouTube or anything? No, and I have, I own um, Under the Red Hood, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the trade paperback. Yeah. But I haven't read it yet. Much, uh, like, I bet I have at least 20 paperbacks in my room that I have never had a chance to read. And that's one of them. I think what'll happen is I'll end up reading that before I watch Under the Red Hood whenever it comes out in like June or July, whenever it's supposed to come out. Oh, I didn't realize it was that soon. Okay, that's cool. I said earlier I'm a fan of you know the, the Under the Hood storyline, and I haven't seen that trailer yet. I keep meaning to go watch it, but something else always takes my attention, you know. But yeah, I'm definitely excited for it. Maybe when we're done recording, I'll finally jump on the YouTube's to see if uh, if it. Uh, piques my interest some more. Hello, Mike and James. This is Psycho. A couple of quick things about your review for Wonder Woman on DVD. Uh, Yeah, first of all, I'm surprised neither of you made the comment when uh, Wonder Woman landed the invisible jet in the park. Everybody remember where we parked. Just remember, decapitations (laughs) are fun. Yes, decapitations are fun. Second, uh, you had a gripe with Wonder Woman using her d- dress, you know, as a weapon against the first demon. First of all, it wouldn't have ripped because she got it wet first, you know, in the fountain. <laughs> and, uh, when cloth gets wet, it gets stronger. Um, thanks for listening to my voicemail. Guys, keep up with the show. And Joe says hi. So thank you, Psycho. Um, (laughs) If I remember correctly, as I said during that review of the Wonder Woman movie, I like when people fight with uh, unconventional weapons. So I I think I remember saying it worked for me. Maybe it was a little implausible because, you know, the guy was so big and she flipped him. But it is true. It is true that it got wet, so it got stronger. So 
you know, maybe she could have done it. Maybe that would have uh, helped her do it. Uh, James, do you do you remember what you said about that? I have it the foggiest idea. <laughs> yeah, I, that I, that I, was a while ago. What was that, December or January or something like that? Yeah. I don't remember taking issue with it, if you want the truth. But if I did, sorry. I, <laughs> I, really, I really, I just don't remember if I took issue with that or not. I think if I did, it was just because that is so silly that a very, a very short skirt slash dress would be able to flip what is clearly a several hundred pound monster. Yeah, yeah. Wet or not. So <laughs> I guess I'll just go with that. Okay, but it was still a great fight nonetheless. Oh, you know, absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, if we're willing to buy into the fact that, you know, an Amazon princess made out of clay and, you know, given life by the gods uh, comes to America to stop a demon horde from destroying the world, I think we can go one step further and believe that she could use a dress, wet or not, to flip a demon on his ass. The heart of darkness is death. They will have their vengeance. So what's the deal with this guy, Doc? Why did he attack my friend? Delusional paranoia. We gave him something to calm him, but he's not responding. Death, evil, now man's time, forever eclipsed. Say what? Man's time forever eclipsed? Okay, that's the second time I've heard this tonight. So either you're sharing your delusions with a general, or... Why don't you tell me all about it? Long ago, before writing, before cities, man's future uncertain, for he was at war with Ophidians. Ophidians what? Snakes who walk like men, moon worshippers. <laughs> Years of struggle, man was winning. Most of Phoenix dead, wiped out. dark heart are possessed by vengeful spirits their only goal destroy humanity since that time Mofir's people guard dark heart Mofir is latest to guard Diamond, but evil ones escape. Not Mofir's fault. But why attack the princess? Mofir tracked evil to her, tried to drive out dark ones. But Ringman stopped Mofir before he can finish job. Let's say I believe you. How do we stop it, or them? Two ways. Pure light from Mofir's gem drives spirits back into heart of darkness. 
Great. What's the second way? Separate host head from body. Bummer. First up today is Eclipsed. The first episode begins with a group of, I assume, covert ops soldiers searching through the desert to find some terrorist warlord, and uh, they end up inside a cave with about several hundred skulls littering it, and at the far end is this black crystal, which one of them tries to touch, and at this point they're attacked by this weird white-haired guy wielding a sword who tells them not to touch the Heart of Darkness. They subdue him, but one of the one of them grabs the crystal anyway, and uh, it takes over his mind, and he, start, he just buries his fellow soldiers alive in the cave. Credits roll. We see Flash in a high-speed energy bar commercial that is criticized by some TV tabloid guy named Glorious Godfrey, who makes up a bunch of nonsense and blames the League for marriages ending in divorce and white-collar crimes. Um, and death. Marriages ending in divorce and death. Yes. Yeah, 50% uh, of marriages end in divorce. The other 50%, death, since you guys took over. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Green Lantern yells at Flash for opening them up to more criticism, and the guy from earlier who was guarding the cave, uh, the cave named Mofir rambles on inside the cave about how the soldiers have doomed the world now. So he takes off, and I believe he steals their one of the soldiers' clothes, to disguise himself. Elsewhere, the soldier who's still under the crystal's power asks another soldier what the mammal's deadliest weapon is, and after he points a gun at him, the guy says, a nuke, and it could probably kill thousands, if not millions of people. So, after a pretty funny scene with Diana, Green Lantern, and Flash, the soldier breaks into an army base, but he's subdued by several soldiers, and the crystal is, is it falls out of his hand. Flash, meanwhile, walks out on a commercial taping, and, he, and his agent calls Godfrey, of all people. Back to the army base, the soldier under the crystal's power is interrogated, but he knows absolutely nothing about what happened to his unit or his breaking into the base to do whatever he was going to do. The general in charge, who now has possession of the crystal, leaves and gets information and then sees another Godfrey show about the Justice League, so he asks the captain how one can get a hold of the League, and the captain says, I don't know, put on a gaudy costume and threaten the world. So he leaves, and next we see the general, this time under the crystal's power, threatening a power plant. So Diana, GL, and Flash stop him, and Mofir makes his way into the area. And the episode ends with Diana touching the crystal and becoming entranced by the crystal's power. Pull back the curtain here a little bit. Yes, uh, I mean, we were talking about briefly these episodes, and Mike... You don't like any of these episodes we're about to discuss today. No. So, this one, I can fully understand why, so go ahead. I'm Ophir! Don't touch the crystal! I mean, this voice actor, what the fuck is going on with that guy? That has to be one of the worst voice voices, pardon me, that I have ever heard in a DCAU cartoon. Worse than... Well, Bucky was just annoying. It wasn't a bad voice. So I was going to go on an anti-Bucky, anti-she-who-shall-not-be-named. But their voices weren't bad. They were just annoying characters. But it's a terrible, terrible voice. It's just like, it sounds like it should be like in like a Warner Brothers cartoon or something. That, that, that's the first place I want to start with this. From there, I don't even know where to go. It's just... Okay, the villain is bouncing from one body to the next... So, well, did that happen in the first part? 
Yeah, it did. Well, it went yeah. from the soldier yeah. to the general. Right, yeah. And, and it's like, to Diana. Right, right, you're right. So we never get to really latch on to, like, one villain. In the second part, that happens too. There's multiple villains, but we'll get into that later, you know? And I don't, like, I, I don't like that. I don't like that the villain is just some weird entity that just kind of possesses people from time to time. I know we've seen that before. I think we've seen that before in the DCAU. But I don't know, something about the way it was done here just really did not sit right with me. Just just from the word go, I could just tell I wasn't going to like this this episode here. It's just... I don't know, it's just lame. And then the all the stuff with Godfrey just goes nowhere. Nowhere. Uh-huh. Again, I mean, we'll, we'll speak more of this when we get to the second part, but it was such filler. It's like they knew the stuff with Eclipso was like not just gonna take up only like ten minutes of the episode. So they're like, oh, the other ten minutes, let's have Flash get in trouble with Rush Limbaugh or whoever they were parodying at the time. I do find it interesting that when was this episode produced? Like, I don't know, two thousand three, two thousand two. This this one debuted in November of '03. Okay, yeah. So I find it interesting that. Granted, I knew we, I know we had loudmouth. I don't want to call him a shock jock, but it's the word I'm gonna use. People like that back then. But it's, I find it interesting that we have more of them, or it seems like we have more of them now with the Rush Limbaugh's and the Glenn Becks, you know. And hey, I'll even throw ones that are out on the other side, like your Rachel Maddow's. I don't, I don't want to lean too far left in the people I <laughs> throw out there. <laughs> so you know, I'll throw out the the, the liberal. Um, Again, I'll use the word Keith Olbermann. Yeah, Keith. Oh, yeah, that's perfect. That's that's perfect. That guy. That guy. <laughs> my God. Now, okay, not to get on a tangent. I don't agree with everything he says, but I respect his ability to just. Okay, you know how he'll go off on like those ten minute rants, the clearly scripted rants. I respect his ability to do that. I mean, sure, he's reading from a teleprompter, but it's got to be well rehearsed and it seems natural so i respect that but yeah even though i'm a liberal or at least lean that way i uh don't necessarily always agree with them but i mean like i said i just i just found it interesting that it still resonates today something that small and insignificant in this episode but that's that's a whole other thing (laughs) um let's get this back it's an earth two podcast it's a a, tangents are bound to happen (laughs) this is true this is true but let's hear some of your thoughts about eclipsed I I agree, and I I'm not nearly as hard on this episode as you are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I can find some enjoyment out of it, but I absolutely agree. The ult- I'm ju- and I'm going to jump into the second episode here a little bit, but the ultimate plan took way way too damn long to be revealed. It was definitely built towards, but all this stuff with the commercials and the endorsements, like you said, just total filler. Yeah, it's it's an ep- another one of these episodes that did not need to be two full episodes. You say two full? I, I I just say two in general. You know, sometimes we'll joke, oh, one in ten minutes. No, this is just yeah. oh, if they just cut all the crap with the Flash and the endorsements and Godfrey, and just made it about Eclipso, one episode. This could have been like an old Superman the animated series episode. Mm-hmm. totally padded did you think and I, I know i thought of this because we've watched wrestling a lot mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't watch wrestling anymore but i know you do but no i don't i, I haven't watched wrestling for a couple of years so yeah. oh i'm sorry i thought you were still following it okay no i mean i follow the news just to see what's going on but no i don't watch it anymore okay yeah i mean i haven't watched it in at least four years yeah. but uh 
as soon as Flash's agent said there's there's no bad publicity, first first man to come to mind, Vince McMahon. <laughs> I could see, yeah. but y- you brought up Flash's Flash's agent there. He was another character, and the way he was drawn and voiced that I felt should have been in like an old Warner Brothers Looney Tunes type cartoon. You know, well, that he was, just didn't seem I mean, to that fit was with Brian, that world. Yeah, I mean, that was Brian Doyle Murray who did uh, the agent's voice. I think his name was Artie. Um, uh, who is that? Because I recognized the voice, but I couldn't place it. If I'm not mistaken, that's Bill Murray's brother. Oh, okay. Maybe his half-brother. I'm not sure, because I know he was in uh, Groundhog Day with him, mm. and he's been in a lot of movies. He's the mayor of Punxsutawney in uh, Groundhog Day. Mm. Um, oh, but, okay, I think I know who he is then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's very, very recognizable voice. All my ranting aside about this episode here, there were, there were two things that I found interesting. One, that they found a way to get the Eclipso costume in there. It's only in there for a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um, and it seemed a little bit like a waste, but okay, okay, they found a way to get it in there. But the other thing was, I loved uh, Diana's line. What was it? What a rude little man. Because mm-hmm. who she say that about? That was the agent, right? Or was it about Mofir? No, I, I can't remember. I think, no, I think it was about Godfrey. Oh, was oh, it was about him. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I I can't believe I I haven't mentioned this yet. The dude who voiced Mofir, mm-hmm. um, his name is Tracy Walter. Do you know whom whom he played uh, in a certain Burton movie? Um, give me the movie. Uh, eighty nine Batman. Oh, Bob the Goon. Yes. Yay, Bob the Good! I just suddenly fell in love with Mofir. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to make you hate him even more. <laughs> I like Bob the Goon. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean uh, Mofir. <laughs> oh. Wow. Okay, that's that's interesting. <laughs> oh, now I'm looking at my shelf of action figures, and Bob the Goon's fallen over. Oh, I got to fix him. Um... <laughs> with karate kick, or what is it? <laughs> exactly. Karate like kick, kick action. Kick action. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yes. Uh, let's see. There was something else I was going to say about... Oh, yeah, uh, Godfrey, you know, he breaks out a book, supposedly a study, about how superheroes are bad, and it's called The Innocent Seduced, and of course that's a take on seduction of the innocent. Professor, Professor, was it Wilhelm something? I think it was Wortham. Wortham, Wortham, yeah, yeah, I think that sounds right. So, yeah, they were they were clearly making a reference to that in here. So, yeah, just want to make sure that got out there. We, you know, we did notice. We absolutely did notice. Didn't want to make it seem like uh, we didn't or that we forgot to mention it. Um, I just, I just, oh, you know what? There is one more thing I want to say about this one. Everybody keeps calling that crystal black, and you did in the synopsis, too. It's it purple. Well, it, yeah, the, it's purple, uh, I didn't even say it's. I said it purple. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, but, I mean. That crystal but, <laughs> purple. Yeah. I'm Mofir. That crystal's that crystal it's really purple, but we'll call it black. Ugh. Dude, you should totally do your uh review or your synopsis of the next episode in Mofir voice. No <laughs> So we could have Stoner Mike and Mofir Mike. Mofir Mike. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> but yeah, I mean I just didn't get why they colored it purple but kept calling it black. <laughs> Especially when Eclipso's color scheme there, there's purple in him. I don't know if there's any black in him, though. Is there? I don't know. I don't fucking care. I, th- I, I know in anime a lot they call black crystals purple sometimes. Mm. If I'm, it's been a while since I've watched a lot of anime, but it seems. You to mean purple like, crystals black? Did I, is it, did you I said black it? crystals purple. 
but yeah, it it happens in anime, so why not here? Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I mean, I, that's a small thing. I'll admit it's a nitpick, but it's something I just wanted to to, to throw out there. Anything else to say about this first part, really? Not really. Okay, let's get on to the second. Although I did kind of get a chuckle out of, and what's wrong with the way I dress? Uh, you want to take that? (laughs) That would have been, that's a great line. It would have been a little funnier if Flash just looked at GL and then ran away. (laughs) (laughs) Not even said a word. Just looked at him, ran away. Yeah, and it would have been cool if they could have done it without the speed lines, too. You just... One second he's there, and then it's like he turned invisible because he got he ran away so fast. There weren't even speed lines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or they could have done a, a Looney Tunes Wiley e. Coyote type thing, or a Roadrunner type thing, where he runs away and there's a smoke shadow left. <laughs> <laughs> Considering Mo Fear and the agent and the cartooniness of them, sure it would have fit right in. Oh, 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 oh! How could we forget to mention Flash's Shagmobile, his his van. Oh, wow. What I'm... the fuck? I mean, at least John called it the question. Why the hell do you need a van? Uh... Oh, and he's turned it into some sort of, like, pseudo-bachelor pad type thing. And it's just like, oh, God, no, no. I guess if there's a character in this cartoon that can get away with it, it would be Flash, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine Batman having that? I mean, come on, you know? They would never be able to live that down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it was just ridiculous. And again, it went nowhere. Oh, and of course, it's all souped up with the the, the thumping bass and the hydraulics that make it bounce. And it's like, really? Really? No, no, no. I just wanted Bucky to walk on screen and be like, that's even lamer than me. And just walk off. (laughs) Just come through a time portal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's Bucky. You could have invented a time machine. <laughs> exactly. Well, he's from the future, so he would have had to have come through a time exactly. portal. Exactly. <laughs> You're lame. I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and with now that... Now I want to see that. <laughs> oh. Yes. And with that, I'm going to begin the episode two summary here. Feel free. Yeah. Um. So Godfrey's show opens th- up the next episode with more anti- Justice League shit, and Green Lantern and the army are interrogating the general, who knows absolutely nothing and is still in his Eclipso garb. Uh, he also explains that there was this weapon that they were talking about in the first episode. Well, um, it's, remember, it's not a weapon, it's actually... Yeah, well, I'm, I'm getting yeah. to that, yeah. Okay. It wasn't actually a weapon at all, it's purely a defensive mechanism right. that arrests nuclear activity. And he, he point-blank says, unless you're planning to knock out a star, the, the only purpose... Uh, the only purpose it is is to prevent nuclear attacks. So Wonder Woman is standing uh, behind the uh, mirror glass, just watching this, completely entranced by the diamond and or the, whatever the heart of darkness. Mm-hmm. And uh, she hears this information, and then she and GL and Flash leave, and Mofir <laughs> appears outside and attacks Wonder Woman, and the spirit possessing diana speaks through her and recognizes mo fear he knocks her out and he then prepares to cut her head off but uh gl stops him and he takes diana to the watchtower and you know tasks flash with imprisoning mo fear uh so later <laughs> later flash is talking to mo fear and he thinks he's crazy until he says something that he heard earlier so he agrees to hear uh, Mofir out, and Mofir explains that several millennia ago, primitive man was in a long war with these lizard men creatures called the Ophidians, and 
Eventually, mankind prevailed to the point where there were only about a dozen of these creatures left alive, and these few uh, lizard guys sacrificed their souls to uh, this diamond, and it was called the Heart of Darkness, and they did this so that one day they might return and wreak terrible vengeance upon humanity. So the primitive men built a cave around the crystal to prevent it from ever being released or you know, out into the world again. And Mofir was apparently the last of the guardians of the crystal, much like Jean was the jailer of the Imperium for all those centuries. Now the crystal's power has been released and the snake creatures have vowed to destroy all mankind. And Mofir explains that the only way to drive the creature, uh, drive away the snake spirits is with pure light from his amulet or by decapitating the host of the spirit. So Flash goes back to the watchtower with the amulet. Diana is recovering. She can't remember anything. Eventually, it comes about that the League is watching some surveillance tape of the Javelin Bay, and they see uh, Jean taking a device out of the Javelin, and he, too, has no idea when or how this happened. So Flash is fed up with all this shit, so he's, he's like, all right, I'm going to shine this amulet in each of your faces. And he does this one by one until he's about to do it to Superman and Green Lantern just blasts it to pieces. And it's shown that he has the Heart of Darkness in his hand and he's under its spell, but they subdue him. And Hot Girl, in her usual manner, just hits it with her mace, destroys it, but unfortunately, shards of it go everywhere. And Flash is the only one who uh, is able to avoid getting touched by them. And he is now confronted by Superman, John, Green Lantern, Hot Girl, and Diana, possessed by the Heart of Darkness. Advantage, Evil Justice League. <laughs> so <laughs> he's just he's being chased all over the space station, and he eventually hides in a ventilation duct. And here's the Ophidian's plan: they're going to send the nuclear activity arresting device into the sun to collapse it and destroy the planet. So GL goes outside and sends the device hurtling towards the sun with his power ring. And meanwhile, Flash tries to contact Batman, but he's spotted and wounded pretty badly by Superman's heat vision. But he gets away, he tries to get to the to the javelin, but it's been trashed. And uh, he, what little strength he has left, he uses to drill a hole through the javelin and the floor of the watchtower with his super speed. At this point, the sun is hit by the device, and it does begin to die. And Flash is now seriously injured and makes his way to an electrical room of some sort and the league bursts in to finish him off but Flash turns on this gigantic 800,000 watt light that frees the heroes from the Ophidian's control and Flash explains the situation and they try to come up with ways to get rid of the anti-fusion matter that's now uh, destroying the sun and they figure out that the only way possible is for Flash to take the warp drive from the Javelin and run as close to light speed as he possibly can with the protection of Green Lantern's ring towards the sun to open a wormhole and suck out the dark matter. Well, it actually works. Flash saves the entire solar system. Uh, and the episode closes with Flash telling his agent to go fuck himself, and that, but he does know someone who could use some work and... Mofir ends up filming what I assume has to be a hemorrhoid cream commercial, uh, which is the same one that Flash walked out on earlier. So, okay. 
let me say this first. The action picks up in this part. I'll give it that. That out of the way. Let me count the ways that this sucks. The device would fucking melt long before it got anywhere near the motherfucking sun. Correct me if I'm wrong, James, but do we have any metals on Earth that could survive getting that close to the sun? Nope. I didn't think so. And it was clearly not being protected by Green Lantern's ring at that point. He just launches it with the ring and pushes it. Exactly. It doesn't have a shield around it. Exactly. And let's say that it still had the shield getting it to the sun. At some point, it's not going to have that shield, like when he turns his attention away or something. So the sun would melt it quicker than the thing could react. Okay, here's another thing. At the end, Green Lantern, as you know, you said, he, he, he sends out that big, Flash calls it the Cosmic Treadmill, which of course is a reference to old Flash comics, which mm-hmm. I think Barry used to use it to time travel. I don't know if Wally ever did. But, you know, it's just basically a platform for Flash to run on. Now we see that that platform is keeping up with the Flash, who has to be running at near light speed, right? Well, in Secret Society, doesn't Flash tell Sinestro that he, you know, that Sinestro's uh, constructs might be as fast as him, but he can't think as fast as a Flash can run? Mm -hmm. Which means that's the same for John. Okay, furthermore, think about how far John is stretching that beam. From the Earth to the Sun? It's one thing to just put a bubble around something and let it go. I, I, I seriously call that into question, too. But to have just a giant platform constantly there, thinking at light speed, no. There's too many problems for the plan to work, but as a totally basic idea, I like the plan to send a nuclear arresting, a nu- nuclear arresting activity device into the sun. I do like that as a plan because I think it's a... It's a pretty scary one. Mm-hmm. If you think, if you really think about it at its most base level, yeah. uh, you send something like that that can stop fusion, and you'll you will destroy the sun if you could ever manage to get it anywhere close to it. Yeah, but you can't. You you just can't. It would melt within seconds of getting within the atmosphere of the sun, or the what is it? Not the corona. Uh, the just the. I mean, just the outermost layers of the sun with the the flares they would melt the damn thing and again this it just took way too fucking long for the plan to be revealed they revealed the plan what like if we assume this is what like 44 minutes for the total yeah the total of the the totality of the episode it probably got revealed about minute 34 5 yeah batman returns anybody (laughs) yeah pretty much so I do have to say, though, there were some great animation moments in this second episode, like the visual of the League entering that darkened room. Yeah. With Super, Superman and all the League with their white, whited-out eyes. Yeah. That, that was pretty fucking cool. Yeah, that was. But John or Superman 1 ripped out the entire generator for the the Justice League, or the, the Watchtower. How did he turn that light on? Secondary backup? I don't know. I mean, for that matter, what the fuck is that light even doing there? I know! There's no explanation for what it is. I thought maybe he opened up... I mean, I know he didn't, but for a brief second, I thought maybe he opened up some shielding along the side, 
where the sun just happened to be shining in and he got rid of like the protective I don't know window that and somehow that was just direct sunlight it doesn't make even any sense I know but that's what I thought for just a second but yeah like what what was that just we've never seen that before we're never going to see it again what's that called oh deus ex machina the, uh, I got nothing else, so if you want to rant some more, feel free. Yeah, I'm going to keep going. Um, I don't even know if I want to. I don't even know if I have the energy to keep complaining about this one. Uh, Just some other little things I will bring up, though. I think that the device, we see that, like, um, this this goes back to the first part of this two-part story. When we see it in the desert... Because later on, we just basically have, like, the top of it that's being uh, thrown at the sun. But when we see the whole thing, I think that's supposed to be an homage to the Gamma Bomb from the original Incredible Hulk origin story. I'd have to see them side by side, but from memory, that looked the same to me. At the end, when we go back to Godfrey and it turns out, oh, look, he's on public access. Ha, ha, ha. That's when you really realize, (laughs) oh, wow, because I forgot about him. I completely forgot about that that stuff from the first part. And then he's back. I'm like, oh, yeah, they court, sort of just dropped him. They should have just not even brought him back at all. I know they were trying to show that he got some sort of comeuppance or whatever. I don't know why, what happened. Oh, he slagged on the Justice League too much, and now he's on public access? Whatever. But I guess, well, Glenn Beck lost a shitload of his sponsors, but he's still fucking on the air. Fucking douchebag. Anyways, it, during... during I'll say no, because I, I agree with a lot of his viewpoints since he's a libertarian. No, but... no, 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 no. Here's the thing. I'm railing against his tactics. The fear-mongering. But again, that, that's a whole other tangent we don't need to be on. <laughs> okay, the reason I brought this up... Well, one, was to show just how they completely forgot about the character and how it was just filler in the first part. But two, was there's a guy sitting in the background who I could swear was the uh we've seen the design before i think he was the i've mentioned him before in other episodes because he keeps popping up i think remember in that batman episode where robin disguised is the baby doll episode where robin disguised himself as the heavy blonde guy with the mullet cousin spunky yeah i think it's him sitting in the background next to the camera i think you're right actually yeah because i i remember vaguely kind of catching that out of the corner of my eye when I was taking notes for this, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I think you're right. I think that is cousin spunky. You're talking about grown up spunky, right? right exactly. Yeah. And yeah. like I said, I know there's been other points, maybe, maybe only one other time where I've been like, Hey, wasn't that, that blonde haired mulleted guy? <laughs> where is that? It's Atlantis thousands of years before it sank beneath the waves. In those days, Atlantis was ruled by sorcerer kings. Unfortunately so, for Atlantis, along with most of the ancient world, found itself under attack by extra-dimensional beings called the Old Ones. The Old Ones nearly destroyed humanity as they prepared the way for the most powerful of their number, Great Ixthultu. But King Poseidon gambled that they could be stopped. He gathered nearly all of the ambient mystical energy on Earth, then forged it into a single weapon. The power of the Trident served to banish the Old Ones from our realm. 
was high. Poseidon knew that the same mystic energy he used to defeat the Old Ones also powered the spells that prevented Atlantis from sinking beneath the ocean. He saved the world, but doomed Atlantis to rest forever at the bottom of the sea. Now the Old Ones seek to return to our world. Already fissures have appeared, allowing creatures from their world to gain entrance into ours. When you interrupted, we were helping fate cast a spell to bar their way. And now we must complete the ceremony. Next up is the Terror Beyond. In this one, we start out seeing Solomon Grundy just doing his Grundy thing. And he's just being attacked by the army. Tanks and helicopters and laser guns and laser tanks and all these laser thingies. And, uh, you know, they're, they're having a hard time keeping them down. But eventually they... Uh, a couple of laser tanks just blast them and they're holding them down and they're about to drop some sort of cage on him when all of a sudden like a purple sea creature comes out of the, I think it was purple. I, I don't even know why I mentioned the color. It doesn't really matter. Comes out of the water <laughs> and riding it is none other than Aquaman. He uh, grabs Grundy and says basically, you know, come with me if you want to live. And uh, so what happens from there? Uh, they go to Fate, right? Yeah. Miss? Okay, yeah. They then go to Dr. Fate, and Grundy's all like, what you want? And uh, they're like, well, we'll give you gold if you help us out. And Grundy's like, me like gold. So, you know, they show him the treasure chest full of gold. And then Fate, for some reason, decides that he wants to... Uh, see if Grundy is what he claims to be, and that's a zombie. So he does some spell on Grundy's head, and we get Grundy's origin. It turns out he used to be a gangster, what, in the 20s or 30s, something, something like that? Very much 20s. Yeah, and uh, what was his name? Something Gold. Cyrus. Cyrus Gold, yeah, I wanted to call him Silas, and I knew that was wrong. So his name was Cyrus Gold, and he was just like, he was probably one of the best mob enforcers all around. And uh, But one day, he meets guys that were tougher than him, they gang up on him, and they brutally gun him down. They cast some spell over his body, and then they throw him into a swamp. Now, the swamp was also enchanted, and the conflicting magics basically, decades later, birthed Grundy, turned gold into Grundy. Uh, when Grundy came out of the swamp, the reason... Uh, he always wanted gold is because in some subconscious way, he always remembered his last name. Now, since Grundy finally remembers his origin and realizes what he's really been looking for all these years, that being his soul, he's really pissed off and he doesn't want the gold anymore. Um, so he tells Fate and, um, I almost said Strange, because Fate and Doctor Strange teamed up in this episode. Fate <laughs> and Aquaman, that he will help them with their super secret cryptic plan, but they better help him get his soul back. And they say, sure thing, buddy. And how does the... Oh, okay. Oh, in the meantime, the League shows up on the docks where the army was fighting. I say the League, but it was Superman, Hawkgirl, and Wonder Woman, right? Yep. Am I missing some? For some reason, I thought GL was there, but no, he wasn't there. They show up, and they're talking... What's that? 
I'm sorry, he doesn't even appear. This is yeah, I, I didn't think so. Um, so yeah, they show up and they start talking to the uh, the general, and they're like, "Hey, we're just here to clean up." And the general's all like, "Yeah, I've had enough of help from your kind today." And they're like, "Whoa!" And he's all like, "Yeah, Aquaman showed up on a big sea beast, and he took Grundy away." And they're like, "Huh?" So somehow they find out. Oh, they go to Atlantis. And they talk to, uh, what's Aquaman's wife's name? Mira? Mira, yeah. Mira, yeah. They talk to Mira, and they're all like, hey, why is her husband acting like a douchebag again? And she's like, oh, well, uh, I don't know. I don't remember what she says. But somehow, uh, what? Uh, I'm going to say Mira's pissed off at Hawk Girl because she's so damn rude to her. <laughs> right, yeah, that's right, that's right. And uh, so somehow they find out that they have to go to Dr. Fate's place and they they go to his building and they they can't get in but then they just punch it and they break through the wall and they get in and we see inside that it's all mysticky and strange and stuff like that so they're walking around and they come across the ceremony that fate aquaman grundy and fate's wife what is her name enza enza that's it uh that they're all conducting on grundy uh, Wonder Woman, Superman, and Hawkgirl are appalled that they're mistreating Solomon Grundy. So they stop the ceremony. They, you know, punchy, punchy, run, run, to quote Tom DJ. <laughs> um, it's just one fight after the next. Uh, they get teleported. Uh, who, okay, Superman and Grundy get teleported to, like, Egypt, right? Mm-hmm. Hawkgirl and... Well, Hawkgirl doesn't get teleported. She That's right. Fight. She stays behind. Right. So Wonder Woman and Aquaman, they end up somewhere else. Easter Island. Right, yeah. Hawkgirl and uh, Dr. Fate mix it up because there's something about Hawkgirl's mace that allows her to counter magic. Um, while she's fighting him, um, he's he's calling up all these things. And some of the things, like runes or whatever, that, that he's calling up to fight her. Uh, runes to fight her? I don't even fucking know. Uh, she notes Arthanagarian. The various fights and the Superman and Wonder Woman, they bring uh, the bodies of Grundy and Aquaman back, and they get into Dr. Fate's face, and they're all like, hey, finally, finally, would you just stop punching us in the kisser? Because they've asked a thousand times what's going on, and no one answers. What the fuck is going on? Fate then turns around, and a giant portal opens up, and oh, look, it's Cthulhu. Oh, wait, I mean, Cthulhu. Or whatever that, <laughs> yeah, whatever the hell they call him. And Fate's like, we were trying to stop that. End the first episode. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't dislike this episode, uh-huh. but I mean, I, I, again, pulling back the curtain, you were you were telling me earlier about why you why you don't like this episode, and uh, I can I can sort of see where you're coming from, but. I still like this episode, and this is kind of weird because this is an episode I remember not liking oh. when I first first watched it, but when I watched it now, eh, I kind of like it. I don't know if I have any mis- you know mystical, wondrous reason for why I like this one. <laughs> yeah. I guess I like the all the character development that Hawkgirl gets. Mm-hmm. They reveal she's an atheist, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Rob Zombie voices Cthulhu. I mean, I'm sorry, Ichthultu. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I thought that was pretty cool, actually. Yeah, yeah. And this has got to be the most violent episode of anything 
that we have watched in the DCAU so far. Well, you're like, getting into the uh, second part, though, I think you mean, right? Uh, oh, yeah, you're right. That is, that does happen most of yeah. the second part. I mean, but, you know, first part, we do get to see, I mean, it's in Shadow, but we see Grundy get gunned down by, th- Gold, pardon me, get gunned yep. down by three guys. Yep. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty fucked up. They, perfor- they perforated him. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, let me jump in here, though, and explain why I hate this one. Because you referenced yeah. our, a discussion we had off the air. But this mm-hmm. this is the reason... I say hate, and that, that's kind of a strong word. Okay, here's the reason I'm biased against not just this story, but all stories like this. I'm tired, so tired of the... We're not going to tell you our plan, so it's going to cause us people who are normally allies to fight. And then finally, at the last minute, when the cliffhanger needs to, to well, be the cliffhanger, be it at the end of the 22nd minute, or at the end of the 22nd page of a comic, or whatever, that's when we're finally going to reveal what we were doing. And you'll see our intentions were good all along. And you were really the ones in the wrong for jumping in the way, even though we probably should have told you what we were doing. You know, I hate that kind of storytelling. I hate when superheroes don't tell other superheroes what they're doing. If you can stop a fucking fight, especially when you're trying to save all of creation, just stop for a second and say, okay, Cthulhu's coming to town. Grundy willingly sacrificed himself. There you go. There you go. There was no need for like half of this first episode if if Aquaman fate. Fate's wife or Grundy just would have been like Cthulhu or okay Ichthuklu or whatever you know <laughs> if if they if they just would have said something there's an evil god coming to eat eat your soul nothing wouldn't have happened you know I I seriously I loathe that kind of storytelling always always hate it and that's I can't fault you one bit for for that but it's it's just not something that overly bothers me yeah so well, see, that's, okay that's... mind you i i've read infinitely more comics than you have oh, so i absolutely. see this all the time i shouldn't say all the time but i see it a lot in comics and it 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 just it's old it's tired it can be done well don't get me wrong it absolutely can be but here i think it's done poorly I mean, I feel like they only brought Aquaman in because he's the type of character that they could get away with doing that kind of story with. Because he's a king, he doesn't have to explain himself. Well, fuck you, he does. If all of creation is at stake, he still has to, yeah, he has to explain himself. Especially when he's going up against his friends. Yeah, I mean, and they just developed the whole Poseidon trident thing around him. Yeah. You You know, bridging off of that. Okay, something I will give this episode, though. Great Hera. Do you have to say that all the time? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Uh, Yep. (laughs) Does that really give you strength? Yes. So that was some good stuff. Uh, I mean, as you said, more so in the second part, but Hawkgirl gets some great, great characterization in here. Abso-fucking-lutely. I mean, again, we're getting into the second part, but, you know, the whole thing about you know, faith, you just, you just believe, you know, and Hawkgirl just doesn't have that in her. She can't. And because I too am an atheist, I can relate to that faith. I just don't understand blind faith. I, I want to question everything. Me too. Right, exactly. And I'm not knocking people that have blind faith. I don't want anybody to think I am. I'm just saying I can relate to the Hawkgirl character more so now that I know that about her. 
this is only the second time I've ever seen this episode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for for WFP here, this is mm-hmm. the only second that I've ever seen it. And the first time I saw it was when it first aired. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I didn't, I didn't remember that she was an atheist. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I want to say, back in '03 when this first aired, that was the year that one of my best friends just died. Uh-huh. Um, and that was what really pushed me over the edge of becoming an atheist. I was just so disillusioned with how that could have possibly happened. And it was, I mean, I know that was, that happened in, I think, July of 03. And I didn't even put two and two together then. It, so seeing this now, it, it, it hits me a little closer. Yeah. And I can, I, like you, I can definitely relate to Shaira a lot more than I could before. Right. And, well, again, I was going to say something, but that something happens in the second part. So I'll, I'll, I'll hold off until then. There was something else I did want to say about this part. The parallel of the Defenders? Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I guess so, because you've got Fate standing in for Strange, Grundy mm-hmm. standing in for um, the Hulk, Hulk. N- Namor, well, Aquaman for Namor. Who would be the Silver Surfer, though? There really isn't thinking, an analog for the Silver Surfer, is there? I was thinking Enza for Clea. Sure, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you know, Doctor Strange did have a lover for 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 a long time, um, so that would be there too. But yeah, there's there's no one for the uh, for for the Surfer. But yeah, th- this is pretty much the Defenders, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice. And nice. Re- if you remember, you know, Grundy calls Doctor Fate stupid magician, and yeah, didn't, Bird knows and. Hulk called Doctor Strange stupid magician, didn't he? Oh, yeah. I mean, Hulk's always got weird little funny names for people. Sometimes for Wolverine, it's just something like Little Man. But, you know, like like well, kind of what we saw here with Grundy, Bird Nose for Hawkgirl. We see that a mm-hmm. lot from the Hulk. Um, so, yeah, they were really... as I mean, okay, it's not going to make the air because it's something you said between um, the last one, Eclipsed and the Terror Beyond. But you... you accurately called the general we see in the bill in the beginning general ross which is yeah. you know hulk's big one of hulk's big big villains you know or not uh-huh. villains but antagonists so yeah th- this is definitely a hulk story that they just use dc characters in <laughs> anything else you want to say about this first part let me double check my notes i don't think so okay getting on to the second part Cthulhu is here. I'm sorry, people. I'm just, I'm just not going to say just just say Cthulhu. Cthulhu. Yeah, I'm just I'm just not going to say Cthulhu or Cthulhu or whatever the hell. It is. Yeah, I mean it's Cthulhu. They call him the Old Ones, which is a stand-in for the Great Old Ones. You know, from the H.P. Lovecraftian lore. So that's what it is. But Cthulhu's all here now, and they're able to get him to back off. How do they do that, though? I can't remember. They basically. Hot girl and fate recite a, a Thanagarian. Well, what they what Shira eventually says is the closest thing they have to a prayer. Right. It's, Ex- it's all all Thanagarians are atheists. Right. Yeah. So it it goes back just for a little while, and fate's like, "Look, that's not going to hold it off. Uh, we have to finish this spell to stop it." But uh, fate's wife is all like, "Look, you're you're not strong enough to do it." And plus, you know, maybe it's a broken spell, blah, 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 blah. So they decide they're going to go to the other realm to punch Cthulhu to death. Yeah. So um, <laughs> what happens? They uh, Who goes? Grundy? Okay, 
they all go except the except, except for the, Inza. right Enza Enza Inza Inza yeah except except for Inza because she has to stay behind uh, as fate's anchor basically so he doesn't get lost in this other realm before they go though we basically get the origin story of Aquaman's trident because we needed that and <laughs> but along with that we find out that it was actually um, an old 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 not old as in you know like long white beard type old but ancient uh atlantean king actually held off cthulhu ages ago they used to be a a people that practiced sorcery they were sorcerer kings and uh when these creatures came calling all those all those ages ago um atlantis actually was still on the surface it hadn't sunk then and uh you know the never named atlantean king he makes some spell it forms the trident he banishes uh not cthulhu and uh but that somehow causes atlantis to sink into the sea so there's that that's when they all go into the other realm as they're walking around um we find out little things about hawk girl and her people about how they used to worship and actually make offerings to this uh this old one this this not cthulhu creature thingy and uh but how they grew out of that that's not quite how i wanted to word that but you know what i mean they they basically said you know what forget it we don't we don't need this guy anymore and they basically just kind of forgot about him aquaman ends up going back to the seas i don't remember why but yeah he goes and he meets up with his wife and he's all like Oh yeah, so we gotta we gotta get the armies ready. She's like, "Oh, is the surface world coming to attack?" And he's like, "No, but something's wrong because I can't sense the sea creatures anymore. They're all gone." Then how come he's able to telepathically command them later? I'm just saying. So that happens. Uh, Wonder Woman and Superman they start punching these beasties all over the place in this other realm. Uh, Fate, Hawk Girl, and Grundy. They go off to meet Cthulhu head on, and uh, when they get there, Hawkgirl gets captured, uh, mostly because the Cthulhu um, is like, hey, you, you got the stink of a Thanagarian on you, come here, I want to talk to you. So she starts giving him lip, he's giving her lip, and I don't remember exactly what he says, but he says something about souls. Do you remember what he says? Like he steals souls, or he eats souls, or he's going to eat her soul? But he says something about something with the word soul, and Grundy's all like, "You steal souls, me want soul back." So he jumps on top of Snake Face, as he calls him, punches a hole in his head. I'm not making this up. Falls into his body and just starts beating the shit from the inside out of a god. <laughs> At some point, as Grundy's running around doing his thing, something stabs him in the back, and it clearly affects him. Not just in a temporarily, you know, like in a temporary pain type thing. He's he's really fucked up, but he keeps on going because he wants his soul back. So he's going, he's going, he's going. He's weakening Cthulhu to the point where uh, Hawkgirl's able to get herself free. She goes in. She see that she sees that Grundy has just passed out pretty much um he's he's barely able to speak and uh he's just saying that he wants his soul back that's all he wants so she flies to the center of uh this beastie here 
And uh, there's a pretty good exchange where uh, he, what does he say? Something like, uh, he being Cthulhu, says, uh, you may not believe in me, but I still believe in you, and I know you won't do this, or something like that. Yeah. And, well, she takes her mace, and she smashes this giant crystal, or whatever it is. All these souls, I guess, go free. Cthulhu's dying. Grundy's dying, too. Uh, all the heroes have gathered again, because, of course, the, the whole, there was a, there was a rip in between the two worlds, um, and it was in, you know, the, the ocean. So, uh, that's why all these BCs were coming through and that's what, uh, Arthur Aquaman was having to fight, but Superman, Wonder Woman and Aquaman patched that up with a giant rock and a spell. I don't know. Don't ask. They, they all get inside Cthulhu's head. Cause Hey, when something's dying, where else do you want to be? But inside its head, they're all there. And, uh, Grundy's laying there and he asks Hawk girl if his reward will be there waiting for him on the other side. And Hawkgirl, she wants him to get what he wants, but she starts to say, Grundy, I don't believe... And then she stops herself, and she looks at him, and in that moment, she believes for him. Not necessarily for herself that there's an afterlife, but she wants to believe that first there will be something for Grundy. And she, she starts crying, and she says yes. And Grundy dies. We then cut to a grave. They've laid Grundy to rest, and Hawkgirl is talking to Aquaman and Wonder Woman, you know, these characters that that have faith, that have gods, and is, is questioning them about it. This goes back to what I said that Aquaman said earlier about, you know, faith. It's just something you believe in. You just have it or you don't. And uh, it kind of ends on that somber note, if I remember, right? Yep. Did I really leave anything out of that synopsis? I mean, I almost forgot the whole rip between the two worlds and it getting sealed up with the rock thing, but... I threw a rock at it. <laughs> they threw a rock at it. <laughs> they did. They threw a rock at an extra-dimensional portal. <laughs> yeah. I, I, at some point, I, I really hope next time we see Atlantis, there's just this rock, just sort of, half a rock just floating there. I'm like, oh, that's the hole. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess one thing we probably should mention is that Hawkgirl explains that they, I mean, Superman and Wonder Woman are shocked that anyone would worship this Cthulhu mm. thing, this tentacled Rob Zombie voiced creature and uh, Hawkgirl explains that Ikthultu is the one that gave them agriculture science and the nth metal which oh, is yeah. what what uh, you know you know buffers out magic mm -hmm. so yeah I guess we have to mention that yeah. but other than that you got pretty much got everything okay okay um, okay for all my hating on this on this story as a whole both parts I will say that the last few minutes of this episode, when Hawkgirl finds Grundy, you know, and then she goes and she continues to beat the shit out of a god, uses her mace to beat a god to death. Anyways, um, and then she flies back to Grundy, he passes away, and then we go to his gravesite. That's very touching, extremely touching. But it really doesn't make up for the fact that it's, in my opinion, a really shit story all around. And, again, yeah, the second part is a lot better than the first part, just like the last one we spoke about, Eclipsed. But that first part was just so bad, in my opinion, that it really soured me on this second part. And any of the bright spots that were trying to shine through weren't shining as brightly for me as they could have if that first part had been a lot stronger. What are you thinking? I can see where you're coming from there, but again, this is another. This is one that I enjoyed, and I I could just watch pretty much any time. 
mainly for the second episode, yes, but I think the animation of this episode was pretty pretty fucking top-notch for the vast majority of it. And like I was, I, I had touched upon in our the first, the part one summary, that this has got to be the most violent episode of anything that we've seen so far. People, these creatures are getting ripped apart, stepped on, dismembered, eviscerated in every number of ways. And they, they can get away with it because these are creatures from beyond. Whenever the Justice League is faced with anything like that, they're, you know, the censors are going to overlook the gross amount of violence. I mean, think about the, uh, what was it, Secret Origin? Is it, I can always forget, Secret Origin or Secret Origins? Origins. Origins, okay. Think about that. I mean, those those not-white Martians. Those things were getting ripped to shreds, you know, and they were melting and bubbling. I mean, it was like the end of fucking Gremlins. But they could get away with it because they were just featureless aliens. Here, demons, creatures from beyond, they can just be, ugh, ugh, just minced. <laughs> and it's not just the violence, either, in terms of maturity, because uh, Hot Girl says to uh, Cthulhu, I have I have a gesture for you, but my hands are tied. Yeah, that was great. I wrote that line down. That was wicked. <laughs> Hot Girl smash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, Hot Girl really shines. It really does in in, in this uh, second part here. Really, it's just it's just that the Justice League, and you know, I don't you know, I mean Superman and Wonder Woman, and Hot Girl to a certain extent in that first part, they all come off like assholes. I didn't write down any examples of what I thought was asshole-ish, but, yeah, they just, I don't know. I don't know, they just were assholes to me. I would kind of turn that on its head and say that Hawk Girl was acting like more of an asshole than Superman and Wonder Woman were. You think so? Uh, Why? Hawk, well, Hawk Girl is, well, she's very rude to Queen Mira, mm -hmm. and Superman's like, all right, well, look, we got, we need to talk to Aquaman to see what's going on, and before he jumped to any conclusions, and then Hawkgirl's like, do you ever get chafed sitting on the fence all the time? <laughs> that was good, right, you're right. It was a good line, but you're right, that was very uh, bitchy. <laughs> yes. Very bitchy thing to say. And, and as far as I'm concerned, the League has every right to be pissed off, because they're not getting any information from anybody. That's true. That's true. I think when I wrote that note, what I, what, what I might have been thinking about is that they never ask Grundy what he wants to do. Superman and Wonder Woman are just, I don't remember where Hawkgirl stands on that, but they're just like, no, we can't let Grundy voluntarily sacrifice himself to save the world. What? They know the guy He's volunteer. Dead He's dead already. What the fuck do they care? He's a villain. They don't like him. But no, no, we, we can't let him volunteer to do that. And I don't remember anybody ever turning around and being like, hey, Grundy, what do you want to do? And furthermore, this is something... I, I was wondering about when we were talking about the first part. Fate cast that spell over Grundy to find out that, yes, he is soulless and we get his origin. But he, he says he does that. If I remember correctly, he says he does that to see if Grundy will suit their needs. So if, what, they needed someone that was soulless to yeah, cast they, that spell? They, that never comes back, I don't think. Does it? Yeah, that, that reasoning doesn't come back, but that is how he does explain that they need, I, I'm paraphrasing here, a dead, a living dead person. Oh, okay. Like I said, paraphrasing, fate said it a lot more eloquently than me. So. Okay, okay. Well, pardon, pardon me for, for missing that then. Because it, like it's just one of those things where I'm like, wait, why didn't this come back up? 
You know, why, why couldn't they use anybody? Why did it have to be a zombie? But okay. It's Cthulhu, who knows? Yeah, yeah. Um, I should say, I don't think I've ever seen Eclipsed or this one before. I think I've seen part of Secret Society, but these two, I think, were new to me. This, I know this one was new to me. This is maybe the episode of Justice League, the, the original Justice League series that I've watched the least, because uh, this is, at most, the second time I've seen this. What else about this one? Because as you said, you know, you weren't too keen on it the first time you saw it, but now you were. So so what else? I mean, you've, you've been allowing me to just rant, rant, rant. <laughs> let, let, let's I, hear some positives, or just whatever. No, it's, it goes, it all goes back to the to Hawk Girl and how much okay. character development she gets. It that scores a lot of points in my book for when I'm going to grade this. And we get a lot of not just characterization of her but of all Thanagarians vicariously. Yeah. As they say they say that she that, that they stopped uh worshipping uh Cthulhu because Thanagarians realized, look, we're fucking Thanagarians. We bow to nobody. <laughs> so that's that's the reason that she gave, and hey, I'll go with it. That's what Thanagarians are. They're a bunch of assholes. <laughs> so, I mean, that's really why I appreciate this episode a lot more than certainly when I watched it the first time back in 03. And again, the ending is just so sad. I'm not sure it's sad enough to bring a tear to my eye or anything, but it's certainly, certainly uh, heartfelt and and depressing in a in a good way. Yeah, it actually makes me mad that Grundy comes back. Maybe, I'm hoping, because I've never seen his return. So I'm really hoping that it's addressed. Like, maybe he and Hawkgirl have a scene together. But I just somehow doubt that's going to happen. I owe him quite a lot. If it hadn't been for a certain accident he caused, I never would have gotten my new mental powers. That's why they broke up so easily. You willed them to. <laughs> Even my mind isn't that powerful. For months, I've been reading their body language and facial expressions like a book. They were holding back considerable resentment for each other. All I had to do was get those feelings to come out. How'd you do that? Parasite, have you ever said something you knew you shouldn't have? Something really hurtful? Sure. What made you do it? Too little sleep? Low blood sugar? Maybe you were just in one of those moods you get into every so often. I hear that. Precisely. This blessed organ of mine can send out thought waves that affect those moods. They open the door that most people keep locked. So what's next? We've already divided. Now we conquer. And lastly of today is Secret Society. This episode opens up with the Shade and his gang breaking into some complex to steal a computer chip. Green Lantern and John try to stop him, and they do end up stopping him from stealing the computer chip, but they fail to capture him because they just they didn't work well enough together and no coherence or whatever uh no co- cohesiveness rather <laughs> shade shade escapes and uh shade escapes and giganta of all people pulls up in a hummer and helps him escape and she takes him to this mountain based hideout where we see sinestro parasite and a new baddie killer frost killing of all things bats so Shade instantly realizes what's going on. There's a new Injustice gang being formed. But Giganta corrects him in say, uh, saying it's more like a secret society. And Shade says, it's not going to work. I tried it twice. Suddenly, from a separate room, steps none other than Gorilla Grodd, who is apparently doing quite well for himself since Flash fried his brain all those months ago. And uh, we get the credits, and uh, 
GL gathers the league on a rooftop and says that they need practice. They're not working well enough together. And Batman is not pleased at all with this idea in the slightest. And why should he be? He's been trained by the foremost martial artists on the fucking planet. <laughs> anyway, uh, meanwhile, we go back to the villain's secret base, and we see the villains working on trusting each other, which Grodd notes to Shade is not the easiest thing for loners, sociopaths, and psychos. <laughs> And in the background, we hear Giganta falling on top of Killer Frost. Grodd ex- explains that none of these people, or you know, whatever you want to call them, are in it for the money. Sinestro has the blood oath against the Lanterns. Parasite hates Superman. Giganta is completely loyal to Grodd, and Killer Frost just likes to murder folks. And he also says that Shade is a master criminal, and he could be a master of the world. And Shade is still skeptical and refuses to join, but Grodd does convince him to join but Shade does ask him how you could possibly stop the Justice League and get them out of your way and Grodd brings up a video of their le- of the League and says, by watching lots of game film we see the League practicing honing their techniques in this kind of abandoned ghost town thing and it goes decently but not great, they're kind of arguing with each other a little bit but uh Next, we see the society flying to this private island, and they break into this huge compound, and we cut back to the League, practicing again, and this time it doesn't really go so well, because Batman just takes over and destroys all of the practice robots and says, call me when it's important, and not before. (laughs) The society is wreaking havoc on this island, and they grab the owner of the island, and Grodd uses his new mental powers to force him to tell them where the canisters are. So they make their way to a room where, indeed, indeed, there are several canisters with the biohazard warning all over them. And Killer Frost does kill the owner of the island off screen. And they go back into the room. Inside the four canisters is imprisoned the one, the only, Ron Perlman. I'm sorry, Clayface. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Clayface is to be the final member of the society, as Grodd says. And... The League is training again, and then a rather loud fight breaks out between them, and Batman is, meanwhile, flying over an ocean somewhere, and he gets word of the attack at the island that the four containers were emptied, and he knows what this means, and so he flies towards the island, and at the mountain hideout, Clayface is grateful to the Society for being free, but uh, he just says, look, I just want to be normal, and Grodd says, I could offer you the best of both worlds, and... Showing him a picture of what Giganta used to look like, a gorilla, and seeing her now as a a very sexy human woman. And then Shade gives her a look that really says, eh, bestiality wouldn't be so bad, I guess. No, no, I read it the opposite way. Because up to that point, he's he's flirting with her anytime he's, oh, yeah. he's around her. But then go back and watch that again. When he realizes she used to be an ape, he gets a look on his face like, never mind. No, but then he looked, and you see, again, after that, he looks at Giganta and is like, yeah, and smiles, mm. saying, that ah, maybe it wouldn't be so bad. I, 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 I thought I, it was more of an awkward, ooh, ooh, I didn't realize you're a monkey look. Mm. Yeah. I, I'll I, go watch no, it again, though, but yeah, I saw it the other way. Okay. But we go to a hospital in the Caribbean islands somewhere, and uh, Batman confronts a security guard at the island who was attacked, and, and he finds out that it was Shade who attacked him, and... We get more of Batman speaking another language. Awesome. And next we see Clayface trying to steal some chemicals when Batman hurls an electrified Batarang at him. And 
Clayface reveals his backup, to which Batman says, well, shit, wish I'd thought of that. <laughs> oh, wait, I did. The League and the Society have this knockdown drag-out fight inside this chemical plant, and Grodd starts messing with their minds, and eventually the League is just taken down one by one by one, and the Society gets away. Parasite's like, why didn't you let us finish him off? And Grodd's like, nah, too far too small a stage to destroy him there. Uh, the League, they recover, and they start bickering amongst uh, amongst each other again, and this time, though, it leads to the end of the League. Everyone just walks their separate ways, and the episode ends. Yep. So what you thinking? You know, when, watching these three stories back to back to back, I kind of got tired of the bitching and the infighting between the League. Here it's justified, though. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not saying it's not, but I'm saying an eclipsed Flash has to go up against the entire League. And the last one, granted, Aquaman and Fate aren't part of the League, but, you know, they, they still go toe to it's superhero against superhero. And here again, we've got a lot of bitching and almost comes to blows uh, be- between the League, leading to their ultimate breakup. And I'm sure that they were leading to something because, you know, we're getting close to Starcross, where, of course, there was a traitor in the midst. And, you know, they were they were showing that the League wasn't as cohesive as we, you know, as we'd like to believe they would be. I'm sure they were all, you know, that's, this is this is why they were doing this. They were building to that. But, again, watching these three stories in a row, I kind of got tired of that. I really did. Okay, I see what you're saying. And, hey, you know what? I like seeing my superheroes bicker. I like seeing them fight once in a while. But, again, back to back to back. It just got on my nerves. That's all. That said, I wish this this first part didn't focus on the league at all. That it was just about the society. Um, that it was more like the uh, I always get them confused. Alive and Destroyer, the first part. Destroyer is the final. Okay, episode. so alive. That one. The league isn't in it until the last like twenty seconds. Right. It's just all about the society or justice injustice guild or Legion of Doom. Legion of Doom. Yeah, there we go. It's just all about them. Now, granted, by the time they got to that point in the show's history, they knew what they could do, what they could get away with. They established all these characters. They knew they could devote 99% of an episode to the villains. At this point, they weren't sure they could do it, but I wish they had. And I really wish they had dropped this whole, the League doesn't trust each other subplot, because it just does nothing for me. It comes out of nowhere, really. You know, maybe you could claim it's calling back to the thing that happened in Eclipse, but because they never reference it, it just doesn't really work for me. Well, I disagree just on the grounds that I buy Grodd's uh, explanation. He he says, look, I've been studying them, reading their body language, and, you know, my using my mental powers to kind of gauge their their emotions for months and months. And they, you see these little security cam- or spy camera drones yeah. following all over the place. So they set it up, and I I can buy how he explains, you know, that he was, he he explains that he they've been holding back considerable resentment for each other for however long they've been together, or for however long rather that Grodd has been monitoring them. I think maybe if Green Lantern's douchebaggery assholishness had been toned down, yeah, I'm yeah. you know then I wouldn't be griping so much about this one. I'm really getting sick of Green Lantern 
with this 10-foot pole up his ass and out his mouth. I'm fucking tired of him. You know, every time they take a step forward with him, specifically when it comes to the relationship he has with Shaira, you know, they, they do something great like that. Then they, they take not two, but three steps back by having him be the, I'm the hardened military guy. Listen to me. We need to train. We're not a well-oiled machine. I'm sorry, but Batman totally puts him in his place. <laughs> Just He's like, you know what? Fuck you. Call yeah. me when it's <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, that was good. That was Because really Batman good. has had training that puts this to 15,000 levels of shame. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, robots, really? Okay, batarang, boom. You know, I'm out of here. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they were the Zeta robots. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up. That was the first iteration of Zeta at the boomerang head. To sum this episode up, it's just one of those episodes you watch for the fights. It's not a deep episode, yeah. but I think it's a hell of a lot of fun to just watch. It's a popcorn episode, if ever there was one. Oh, and uh, I have to mention, Killer Frost is such, such a bull dyke. <laughs> Yeah, maybe a little bit, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I really dig this character because I didn't know when she first popped up. And then when I saw her here, I didn't realize this was her first appearance. <laughs> you know, so, but but that's cool. For some reason, I just thought I saw her before. But seeing her here and then remembering the way she is in Alive when she's fighting against Luthor's team and then... She freezes her allies and is like, ah, fuck it, I'll side with you now, Luthor. You know? <laughs> I, I like seeing Luthor's impressed. Yeah. <laughs> great. I, I like seeing the consistency of the character from here to there. You know, with what, uh, I almost called him Grundy. Grad, uh, said. Yeah, she just likes to kill people. That's all. <laughs> you know, I, I love her ruthlessness. I mean, when she is about to enter that room and she just gets that sly smile and looks at the, uh, whatever that guy was, the guy who lived on that island. And you just know what she's going to do, and they don't shy away from it. Later on, she says, yeah, he's dead. Nobody has to worry about him anymore. I don't know how often we're going to see this character, but I think I'm going to enjoy her with uh, what little bit we do get of her. So yeah. And I, I find this a little funny because when we did our review of Public Enemies, you talked about how horrible her the design of her character in that yeah, movie was. Yeah, <laughs> I like her here, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Chances are the DCAU got it right. You know, I mean, very few missteps with characterization and things along the way. Something I want to bring up during the training sequence. Why would you have pop-ups of Darkseid and Brainiac or whoever, Luthor in his battle suit... Like, Superman cutting a, a wood cutout of Darkseid is one thing, but shooting his heat vision at Darkseid is a whole other thing. There's no point to that. Anyways, that aside, that's that's just a little nitpick, I'm admitting. But the point I'm getting at is he, he's heat visioning everything, and then when the Mr. Mixie's Pitalik pop up, well, pops up, he just punches it. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those things where it was like, yeah, if Superman had the ch- had the opportunity, yeah, he'd punch Mixie in the face. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he would. He absolutely would. Now, what were you thinking about the ending of this episode where the league's breaking up and John's like, you know, I survived the breakup of one family. I lost my race. I can survive another one. They all go their separate ways. Uh, what are you thinking there? I thought it was kind of silly how they all walked off in seven, seven separate directions. <laughs> yeah, but... yeah. <laughs> But I I don't know. It's they had to end it 
in that they just had to. The way they were building this episode up, they had to end it that way. So it wasn't all that bad or anything. No, no, I just you know I I thought it was a bit melodramatic. Yeah, that's a that's a great word to use. Yeah, yeah, but it works as a cliffhanger. And what I'll also say is, I'm glad they didn't go the route I thought they were going to go. I thought they were going to do something where it turned out the Justice League knew that they were being watched by Grodd's cameras. So this was all an act just for him to make him think that the League broke up so they could get the sneak attack on him down the line. Uh, again, I'm not I'm not crazy about this one as a whole, but I'm, I'm glad I didn't predict where it was going to go. Oh, and uh, or I, I, sh- I have to mention... Uh, she totally, totally looks up gigantic skirt when she grows up, <laughs> like grows art for the first time. Yeah, who does? This gets better and better. <laughs> yeah, and she even focuses his. He focuses his glasses too, if you notice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, she's a gorilla. She has no use for panties. So yeah, <laughs> he's getting a show. All the times that she falls on her ass, they always have something blocking the view. <laughs> Her cry. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the time it's Parasite for some reason. Because he's pink? Huh? Huh? Good God. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just synopsize the second part? So, episode two opens up with uh, Flash, of all people, trying to get information out of Shade's goons, but he is not successful at all. And we see another of these spy cameras, and Grodd's watching this footage. He says, yeah, he's a fool, but I have a lot to thank him for. He gave me my new mental powers, after all. And uh, he says he didn't will the League apart. I, you know, I'm not that powerful. But what he, what he did was he amplified the thoughts of bitterness and resentment that they were holding back for each other and made them just come out in full force. And uh, he says that, you know, they divided the League, now they conquer. So Flash is next scene holding a guy out of a window and the dude just cracks the, eh, you're no Batman. So Flash just lets him go. And the dude's just panicking, pissing his pants. And uh, Flash runs down the building next to him and says, uh, you were saying? And he's like, all right, all right, all right. And so Flash saves him in the whirlwind, and the goon reveals his old hideout at, uh, cliche alert, an old subway station. And Flash heads over there, and he is not met by Shade, but Sinestro. And Flash has a little fun with him. But uh, he is eventually trapped, and so he contacts Batman, who reluctantly comes to his aid. When he gets there, Flash has Sinestro subdued, but Batman says, catch, shoots the grapple (laughs) right into his chest. Batman says the real Flash would have been too fast for that. So he activates a taser, and it's revealed that it's Clayface in disguise. Uh, Sinestro tries to attack him, but (sighs) Batman takes him out with one battering. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Clayface asks him what gave him away, and Batman says, you overplayed your part, yo. Yo. So, <laughs> which I call, I have to call question to because Flash said, said yo in Eclipsed, but anyway. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, Grodd appears with the rest of the society and says, everyone's a critic. <laughs> so, next we see GL and Hot Girl sitting on a hilltop and Lantern's lamenting the disbanding of the League, and Hawkgirl says, look, you, you tried to make them in, you tried to make us into your little soldiers and tried to shut out our individualities, and Green Lantern says, no, I care about all of you, and I, I'd give my life for you, Hawkgirl, and she's like, you don't know what you're saying. So she flies off. We see a spy camera hovering behind Lantern, and Lantern quit, does a, an about face and blasts the camera, and uh, he looked 
he analyzes it with the ring and ma- like I guess he kind of uses it as a magnifying glass and yeah. looks at all the parts to it, and he finds out it's a spy camera and he contacts Hawk Girl and tells tells her to meet him at the practice ring and next we see the league that's left Diana Superman Jean and Hawk Girl meeting up at the at the practice ring but all of them are ambushed by their own practice droids and the weapons that they've set up there and uh, the society eventually enters the fray and they take down each one of the leaguers one by one until finally it's only uh, Jean and Clayface fighting each other and it appears that Clayface takes Jean down so Killer Frost freezes him solid and the society is one and Green Lantern is the only one left who can save them uh, they go back to the hideout Clayface warns the society about leaving the heroes alive but Grodd says look we di- we gotta make this dramatic so Green Lantern sneaks inside at this point, and Sinestra says, yeah, but what are we going to do about the Lantern? And Grodd says, oh, I don't know. What are we going to do about you, Mr. Stewart? Can't hide from this. And so GL creates a dummy of himself with his ring and sends it out of the cave as a diversion, but they overcome the ruse. They trap him. They have the entire league captured. So Grodd and the Society go to the Gotham Knights football stadium, and they present the leaguers in stasis prisons to the horrified crowd. And Grodd waxes poetic about how awesome they are and how everybody in the world's been holding down the, the mighty and whatnot. And he tells Clayface to execute the League, but he destroys the device, the device freeing the League. And it's revealed that Clayface was Jean in disguise the entire time. And this is the prelude to a ridiculously chaotic battle. Uh, all over the, the the field and the league. The league, of course, does overcome the society, except for Grodd, who tries to get away, but Superman confronts him, and after a painful mental attack, he flicks Grodd in the face, sending him through the uprights. Three points for the JLA. <laughs> Flash is all excited, because, hey, we're back in business, but the rest of the league is like, uh, really? A lot of things were said, and Greenlander's like, look, all I can do is say we're sorry, get over it, move on. The end. And that is my biggest problem with this part of the uh, of this story here. There's there there's no resolution to to, to to what happened with the league, as you said. Green Lantern says we say we're sorry and move on, and then the credits roll. It's like really that that's how you want to leave us now. Who knows? Maybe in the next in, you know in the forthcoming episodes this will come back up. And it'll get get dealt with there. I don't know. But just looking at this as, you know, a standalone story, huh? After after all that build-up, all that anger, all the things that were said, I would have liked... I didn't want a big group hug. Oh, I'm sorry! There's a tear running down Batman's cheek. I love you, Superman. (laughs) You're my pal! You know, I didn't want anything like that. But I would have liked... A little more than we say we're sorry and move on. And I would have liked it from someone other than... I mean, it makes sense coming from Green Lantern since he was the one that was pushing them the hardest. But I would have liked it if it came from the heart of the team. That being the Flash. If he said, we just... We make up. You know, that's what we do. Maybe he could even call back to it and be like, hey, we're super friends. We make up. Just just something. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I needed a little more, and I needed that line not to be said by GL. So, yeah. I hear you. Yeah, I mean, this episode is what it is. It's mostly just fighting. Yeah. The vast majority of this is just fight, 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 fight. So there's really not all that many notes to be said about it. Although, 
I, I have to mention that Jennifer Hale actually did the voice of both Giganta and Killer Frost. Oh, okay. So she was playing a you know a girly you know ditzy kind of woman and a deadly lesbian at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love Jennifer Hale. She's one of my favorite voice actresses in all of the DCAU. Who who else is she voiced? Zatanna, of course. Oh, okay, okay, sure. Uh, and that that's Zatanna in jail, not in uh, Batman. Oh, okay. As you said, you know, there's there there's not a whole hell of a lot to say about this second part because it's just one big fight. But about that fight, was it just me or was it very poorly staged, very clustered? Like we're we're I thought we're so used to the... like the final fight at on the at the football stadium. Right. The whole okay. thing, it's just heroes jumping into frame, villains getting punched, and vice versa. And we're so used to really well-staged, nearly perfectly executed fights that when I see something so cluttered, so just not up to DCAU standard, it makes me go, ooh, ooh, yeah. This, this, This end fight, you know, it's cool to see all these people fighting, but it sucks that they couldn't have done it better. Maybe that was just me. I don't know. Did you notice anything like that? I see exactly what you're saying there, because just from the onset where they're running at each other, that is one of the goofiest fucking yeah. things ever. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> it was like, really? <laughs> really? Yeah. There's no way they could have meant to do it like that. It, it just... It was terrible. It was so fucking goofy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and uh, uh, Jennifer Hill voices Inza. Oh, okay, okay. And Black Siren from Legends. Ah, cool. Also have to mention that Killer Frost made a PMS joke. Yeah, she did. I don't remember, but she did, didn't she? What was it? Broad says, well, you know, I mean, have you ever said something really hurtful that you didn't mean, Parasite? I was like, sure. Or, you know, maybe you had low blood sugar one day, or maybe you get into one of those moods you get into every once in a while, and Killer Frost says, I heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When the Secret Society, when they were coming out of the spaceship thingy that landed on the football field, and they were in silhouette, was that supposed to mirror the Justice League in silhouette in the opening credits? Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah, I think that's what it was supposed to do. I'll have to go check that out because, again, this is an episode I I do enjoy, and I would, and I just kind of watch his background noise a lot. I gotcha. And during the training sequence in the beginning, I think it was, yeah. Did Superman arc his heat vision? It bends. Uh, yeah, and he did. You, you're right. I mean, maybe you could say it bounced off one of the robot heads because I mean we've seen him nonsensically reflected off a mirror, but it bends here. It doesn't ricochet. Yeah, that was clearly an Omega Beam style. Right, that's exactly what I was thinking. Thank you for for using those words there, because that's exactly what was in my head there. And I, I have to say, this is my last note. I don't know if I have more to say after this, but this is definitely the last thing I wrote down. I am sick and fucking tired of the parasite getting the jump on Superman. Son of a bitch has super speed, flight, and super hearing. That this 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 stupid motherfucker can always sneak up on him and jump on his back and choke him out is tiresome. And it happens like half a dozen times in these two parts. No. No, no, no. I thought when you said, I am sick and fucking tired, when you started saying that, I was thinking, okay, he's going to rant about a, a tired... Uh, 
like parallel to a pop star of oh. that area, like Britney Spears. No, of course, they, that's who it was supposed to be at the concert with yeah. Britney, yeah. yeah. Dating, and again, like dating the cartoon. No. The, See, I, whoever it was back in the day. Yeah, I didn't mind that so much because you could, I, I don't remember the, the pop star's name, but it, well, I think it was a take I on Britney. I think it was Britney. 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 Okay, but I didn't mind that so much because you could just insert any pop princess of the moment. In 2003, it was a take on Britney. In 2010, Lady Gaga. Gaga, exactly. I mean, it's not dressed the right, she's not dressed the right way, but you, you say Gaga. In five years, it's someone else. Five years after that, someone else again. So, yeah, it, it you know... And if somehow this DVD, if Bucky were to take this DVD and drop it in the 80s as he was on his way to yell at Flash in the Flashmobile, they would just see, like, Tiffany or one one of the pop princesses from back then. Had they said Britney Spears, then okay, yeah, I'd roll my eyes. Sure, as you said, they said Britney Britney, so it's a more direct reference, but still, I can I can forgive it. But you're right, normally I would rant against something like that, because I don't like it when comics and cartoons are dated because of jokes or references like that. So, yeah. That's why I was glad they didn't put, outside of the inscription on Grundy's tombstone, you know, born on a Monday, that they didn't put dates, a uh, birth date and a date of death. There was nothing. So there was no way to date the uh, the episode. That was that was wise on their part. But anyways, what else do you want to say about Secret Society here? I don't really have any no- more notes. It's the, all three of these, well, I don't know. I wouldn't say that about the second episode, but it it's certainly the first and the third episodes we've covered today are very, very shallow. What I'll say before we get onto our scores, when did Clayface get better? Last time we saw him was in Gotham Knights, wasn't it? With the Annie episode? Yeah, he was kind of just melted into the sewer or something. Yeah. I have no problem believing that he got found in the years since. He wound up in these canisters and he was in this guy's house. Okay, that's a little weird. But at least Clayface is even like, who does that? You know? <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> like, here he has no problem staying together, remaining cohesive. And I just would have liked a, just one line. I mean, Batman says, oh, you're always looking for a cure, Hagen, aren't you? You know, they could have they, they could have tweaked that line where Batman made some sort of expositional reference as to how Clayface is suddenly better than he was the last time we saw him. Definitely. Uh, should we get on to our scores? Yeah, sure. Okay, Eclipsed. I can't imagine that my score or that your score will be as high as mine, but mine and mine's only a four. <laughs> mine's a three. <laughs> uh, the terror beyond. I struggle with this one a lot because I really love that second part, but the whole thing about yeah beating up a god just by punching the shit out of it was very silly. So I'm bringing my grade down from a seven to a six. Okay, I didn't write a score down for this one. The Hawk Girl stuff with Grundy at the end is so strong, but everything else just really doesn't sit right with me, especially that first episode. Is it better than Eclipsed? Meaning, do I want to give it a four? You know, I'm going to give this one a three, just like I did Eclipsed, but I may have to come back to this one. I can't see that being near as weak as Eclipsed was. Yeah, that's I'm just I'm just giving it a score for now. I, I really think I'm going to come back to that one. Uh, Secret Society. Again, like I said, popcorn episode. I'll give it a six. Just for fun factor. That gets a four. Always trying to find a cure, aren't you? Can you blame me? 
No, but it's made you predictable. This is the only company in the world that makes what you need. Now where's Shade? Over there. You didn't think I'd come here without reinforcements, did you? Wish I'd thought of that. Oh wait, I did. Feedback in the form of emails can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. And remember, our voicemail number is 731-WFP-WFP-0. 731-937-9370. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss three more Justice League stories. Those being, hereafter, Wild Cards and Comfort and Joy. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. Thank you.